Hello and welcome to The Why Debate with myself, Mike Martin, and my co-host, Callum Roy. Hello there. How are we all doing, everybody, this week? I'm looking forward to this one. Um, bit of a weird one? Anybody? Yeah, a bit of a strange one. I decided I'd get dressed up for this one, as you can see. Um, if you're just listening to this, I'm wearing a beautiful floral kimono, because today we will be talking about Hagakure, uh, the secret wisdom of the samurai. We're going to take a trip to Japan for today's episode and talk about some of the rather strange customs that they had and um, some of the ones that are kind of similar to ours, some of the ones that are very different. Um, There was some really striking stuff in there um, this week and some of the stuff that I felt like that we'd gone over before, which is cool because Japan obviously is a very, historically, it was a very insular kind of culture. And the Japanese weren't spreading their culture until the modern era. So to to find similarities between um, sort of old school Japanese wisdom and ancient Greek wisdom and like other stuff from like India, and I thought that was really cool that there was some cross there was some crossover. It's almost like human beings, um, you know, ha- having the same thoughts about similar things. And uh, I always find that stuff fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it just shows that the culture from everyone started from pretty similar similar beginnings. Um, it didn't make much sense the further back you go, and it's kind of making more and more sense as we're getting going forward. One of, one of the key things I did notice, right, which you've probably heard me say a lot of times, is people are soft as shit nowadays. And in the 80s when I was growing up, they were yeah. and he says the exact same thing. And I'm thinking it's just that's just what people say when they get old. They just say that the youth are softer but yeah. not, are they? I'm yeah, it's a bias. I think you just end up getting a I think people just get a get a bias over time where they're just like, yeah, my generation was like the generation and then all the ones afterwards. But I think um it could be changing a little in in um now because I just feel like like the self-deprecation that's come from like taking the mick out of your own sort of of your own culture and out of like uh modernity like taking the piss out of what modern life is and how absurd it is i know every every era did that a little bit but i think now with the internet that kind of culture has spread a lot faster and like everyone's kind of like taking the piss out of themselves a lot more and i don't know whether that's uh uh gonna sort of um quell the sort of generational pride that people feel like oh the next generation but then you see people from my generation are like nah like the you know the generation below us are all like tiktok dancing assholes so um (laughs) you know so i guess we're just doing the same thing a tale as old as time yeah maybe i i don't um i think i think we always took the piss out of ourselves i think that's english i don't think the americans do it as much as we do no i think yeah i i I think i shocked a couple of the american people that i've worked with in the past by self-deprecating and taking the piss out of myself i think sometimes they're like uh it's fine like don't don't you know (laughs) don't 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 be upset i'm like no i'm not upset i'm it's funny my me failing is actually kind of funny um and oh go on after no, I was just going to say I had the same thing in Eastern Europe too. The they they're just like, why are you mocking yourself? Like you're so weird. But I am weird. That's what it's all about. That's what life's about. Look at my kimono. <laughs> I think we're all weird. Yeah, some admit it. 
Callum, Callum flaunts it. Yeah, got to accept it. <laughs> right, <laughs> what did you think about the book? Did you like it? Did you hate it? Did you love it? Did you, could you could you have read it multiple times? Would you recommend? Well, we'll do the recommending at the end. Well, uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I did like the book. I thought um, it was really interesting to get an insight into some of the cultural stuff that I didn't know about Japan. Japan is a hard one to learn about, and there's like a few reasons for that. And I think one of the main reasons is that they kind of destroyed all of their, um, well, a bunch of their history got destroyed when the Europeans first arrived in Japan or, or when yeah when sort of western culture started to try and embed itself in japan i think a lot of them had uh, a mindset of being like we can't let them like you know they'll never take our history or culture from us so we should destroy our our history and they burnt a lot of their their history so we actually don't know a huge amount about um japan so it was cool to like learn some new stuff um and yeah like i said before doing the comparisons between like sort of Western culture and uh, Greco-Roman sort of stuff and Japanese stuff. There's a lot of crossover there, which was quite cool. And But I did find that instead of the secret wisdom of the samurai, I found this book to be the secret wisdom of a samurai because it was very much this own this guy's own opinion on stuff. And I say this guy, uh, his name was Yamamoto Tsunetomo, However, he's not called Yamamoto Tsunetomo in 90% of the book because of a very uh, confusing naming culture in Japan where people's names change throughout their lives. And uh, he's referred to as Yamamoto uh, Jocho, I think, for most of it. Um, and that was the name. Uh, Jocho is the name he chose when, or he, he was given when he became a monk later in life and not when he was actually a, a samurai. So, yeah, it's really strange. And it, it must be a nightmare for historians to keep up with. Like, who is this guy? Like, when he was younger, he was called this, and then he became older and he, like, graduated to a new name. It's almost like you get a new name when you level up in life and go to the next rank, you end up with a new name. But this was only something that the... Um, the nobility classes and the samurai classes could could have because um, the, the commoners didn't have surnames. So is this um, kind of like what Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali did? Yeah, 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 pretty much. Yeah, they they, they had a uh, they had like a name that they were given, and then a name that they they took later in life. Um, and they, which is kind of cool. Would, would do you think that that would be uh, do you think that that would be a better way of doing it? Or because you know we don't choose our names, so nobody likes their own name, do they? Everyone's like, I fucking hate my name, whether it's true or not, whether they just say it. But most people don't like the name. Yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind mine. I just like I shorten mine to Cal quite a lot, and my surname being Roy, I, it's like Cal Roy. It just sounds kind of weird to me. So, uh, yeah. Other than that, I quite like my name. It's pretty cool. I'm a fan of my name. I was but, never bothered. It's just a name. No, you you you're lucky. You've got uh, Mike Martin, the alliteration. Double M, is MM. Double M, yeah, that's cool. That's uh, you've got like a, a good name to mouth, be an author and stuff. <laughs> Sorry, it's the M's as well, though, isn't it? They melt in your mouth, not in your hand. That's what they used to. Don't remember <laughs> that at the time. M&Ms. Yeah, true. What was that? M&Ms. Anyway, uh, right. Let's don't melt. Right, so yeah, they did. Um, they had a really confusing naming culture. Um. The Way of the Warrior, Bushido. 
So yes, Bushido. That's the actual martial art of the samurai, then, isn't it? Uh, well, Bushido is. It just means the way of the warrior. So a, a warrior. The name for a warrior was Bushi, um, and Do means way. So warrior way, the way of the warrior. Um, so it was more of a it, rather than a a martial art although there was definitely obviously being warrior there was martial elements to it it was more of a a, a code um a bit like a uh, a bit like a you know a, a code of conduct or like the golden rules that you're given to to adhere to in a, in a religion it was almost like a semi-religious honor code that these people would would follow bushido um i just do you th- did you get the 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 sort of did you get the implication that it was a kind of religious thing i wasn't sure about i i was no right i think i made that mistake when whilst reading the book and they kept referring to the lord and the master and blah 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 and i mm-hmm. think they as with buddhism i think they prayed to a specific man so that their master was their lord so each individual person each individual samurai had they were like they were like they were they were they were similar to slaves and they were similar to similar to um and then we'll talk about this later on but they they they, they were put in a position similar to um what were they gladiators and things like that and the the person that they looked up to wasn't an actual man in the sky but the religious side of it they they their master was their they seen him as as the great being. That's what I got from the book. That's the impression I got. Because part of the way through the book, I was thinking, why the fuck does everything always come back to religion? Um, yeah. But then as I started to read into it a little bit more, I thought, actually, it looks as though to me, but it doesn't say either way. But I got the impression that their their masters, their lords, their 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 gods were their actual masters. The person that that they because they didn't pay them or anything for it. They literally financed their lives, but they were. Um, almost, almost really, really badass slaves. You could kick the fuck out of people really easily. Yeah, there there is an element of because I think a lot of it was based on servitude, wasn't it? And all of the like, there's a whole bunch of the book is dedicated to like whatever you do, you must it must be in service to your to your lord and the uh, upholding the honor of your lord's household. And it reminded me a little bit of. Uh, like knights, European knights, uh, and just being like the the rather than the lord because they were kind of you know, just one step below a lord, but it kind of like a knight's loyalty to their king. It was just like you know, like I'll yeah. do this for the king. But the knights also had their religious. There was a religious aspect to it. I think there is a religious aspect to to Bushido in a way um, that it is like a moral code as well as a um. Uh, sort of so, like a martial code too. So the way we've got king and country now, UK, with like we 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 obviously the royal family and all that. Most people don't like him anymore, but obviously mm-hmm. people are always the the vow to king and country. I think the the Americans are more patriot than we are patriotic. Is, is it still classed as patriotic if it's if we're talking about the English? Uh, yeah, let's go with it. So yeah, okay. But I think the the Americans love the country and they love what it's all about, and they they mm-hmm. they, 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 they they've got this more communal spirit. Then the, the English are, are gradually like um, my my missus his mother's moved in with us um, for the last few months, um, and she loves the royal family. And when right. when when something's going on about the royal family, she'll ask the question: Do, do, do like is this? And I'm, I'm way more like 
I don't really give a shit about them. I'm not really bothered about them. And when I see even younger kids, like like the, the teenagers in our family, not my kids, but my brothers and sisters' kids and things like that, they don't care about the royal family whatsoever. It's like as if they don't. But I think looking at the samurai, I think they've got that sort of royal family status, but in really small tribes of maybe 50 or 60 samurai, who yes. all look up to just one man who is kind of like, we've got a king now, aren't we, Charles? Who is kind of like the King Charles of the tribe. And yes, they all look the up clan. to him like he's, he's the all-seeing, all-knowing master of knows everything. And it's always a man. It's never a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's probably true. And it's funny you should say how like our we are like love for our royal family is like diluting over time. Um and he his um Jocho in the book is saying that that's like a, an issue that he has with people's um adherence to the warrior code and the um bushido and the way of the warrior and samurai culture he's like yeah they're doing these things that are part of the samurai culture but they're not really you know they don't they don't buy into it 100 percent like i do it's like when you think about it every englishman should want to throw their body in the line in front of the king to to defend him but you know like realistically like, what are we no one's going to do that in fact you're probably more likely to throw something at him and throw your you body know, in the line. You, know, you, you said he said he said in the book, then yeah, that about that he 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 sees that people are losing interest. Why do you think? Right, I've got I've got a thought process behind this. Of, when I was reading it as to why I think people lost interest, um, and uh, but why do you think people lost interest in being samurais in 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 in, in the warrior way and all the rest of it? The youth coming up, um, why do you think they lost interest, um, in being samurai? And and it almost. I don't know if it's died out or not, but it's kind of like most of them are now destitute monks who fucking are homeless and have got nothing type of thing. Why do you think that happened? Yeah, well, I think it probably happened because I think one of the main things, the reasons behind it is probably the the Warring States period, which came like 100 years before this book, um, which was 100 years, like in the started in the 1460s, I think, and went on. Um, 100 years of just absolute warfare between small clans there was a shogun who was the shogun is like um like a military dictator of the whole of japan but the shogun had no power because everyone was just in a massive civil war uh and i think there was just a lot of confusion and killing and um i think the price of life became very cheap during that time and i think people's loyalties became very cheap which is why like loyalty in in samurai culture is really really strongly um uh it's something that's really uh, strongly suggested all the time it's like you must be loyal it's one of the the tenets of being a samurai and um i think that that all kind of got put to the test and you think about the type of people that would die like there was a lot of death there's a lot of death in yamamoto jocho's era which is an era of, of peace um, and lots of people are killing themselves and dying in because it was honorable you see yeah, I, I looked onto it. that but I, I just thought that I think that the type of people that would die in a massive huge time of war where death is is something that these guys are extremely acquainted with you would lose a lot of prominent like honorable impressive figures to to just they would just die during the thing and I think that without those kind of um, role models, 
it's harder to get behind something that's as all-consuming as Bushido, which, like you said, a lot of the time we'll get on to ritualized suicide, but ritualized suicide was part of this whole way of the warrior and part of the honor culture. And to buy into something like that, I think you really need to be, uh, you know, fully taken in by it. And if you're not fighting wars, the warring states period ends, Japan gets unified. And I think if you're not fighting in battles all the time, you're like, why am I waking up at four o'clock in the morning and, and, and practicing with a sword if I'm going to spend my entire life as a bureaucrat? And maybe I want to be a poet. Maybe I don't want to be a warrior. Why would I want to be a soldier? Um, get you, the idiots to fight you, for us. I'm a noble, you know. You've looked at this from a complete external factor has caused it, and I looked at it from an internal factor. So, so we've okay. kind of come to the same outcome. Well, well, the outcome is obviously set in stone because it happened. People lost interest. See, when yeah. I was looking at it, right, I, I always look. I always think about how how the individual will look at it from a psychological perspective, mm -hmm. and I always think to, to myself, right, people have got their own best interests at heart. Everybody, I don't give a shit you're talking about, how nice a person they are. Every single person has their own best interest at heart, right? And I believe that once they started to get to the point where they renounced, they started to renounce things. So they started to renounce things. I don't know if that's a real word. Is renounce a real word or is it denounce? Or, or uh, it depends on the context you're using it in. So keep going and I'll let you know. <laughs> right. I think renounce mean, mean not want it anymore, right? So, so the, yeah. is that the wrong word? That's the right word. Right. Yeah. So they they started to renounce things like like um money. They started to renounce things like wealth. They started to renounce things like um that that you shouldn't own you shouldn't want to own things like a mobile phone, you shouldn't want to own things that riches and things like that, right? So I think what happened is slowly over a period of time is 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 their masters, their lords, got poorer and poorer and poorer and weren't able to give the guys underneath them, the lifestyles they'd come accustomed to, and because people are inherently selfish, it's like, okay, I'll follow you, but I've got everything taken care of. And he mentions it throughout the book, like, if I wanted money, I could have it. If I wanted drink, I could have it. If we wanted women, mm -hmm. we could have it. If we wanted men, we could have it. It seems like in the book, he, he talks, there's a lot of man-on-man -man relationships between the, the, the so-called warriors. Yeah. Um, but I feel that when it started to fall apart was at the point where they then started to almost get into what was what is Buddhism. Which, which is is where they started to say, this is all about spiritualism. This is all about being inner peace. This is like, we'd, and, and slowly over a period of time, these guys would have become destitute. These guys would have become poor, homeless, because, oh, and I've just closed the screen. I hope I didn't close the thing. They would, no, have, still good. They would have become, and because people value themselves over, over other things, because they're not getting the life. So they'd have been like, well, why am I? following this guy and I'm also starving because we can't afford food anymore. We can't afford thingies and he doesn't give any, he doesn't put any weight on it anymore because he's like, you shouldn't want for anything. And I think slowly the, 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 the belief system would have eroded itself from within because they, it, it didn't have a long-term strategy to it. It's like setting up a business that's just designed to grab as much money as you can, as quick as you can and not help anyone ever. Um, eventually it's going to, it's going to fucking crumble and fall apart because you, 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 you're, you're not, you're not thinking long-term. And that, that, yeah. was, that was what I got from the book. I, I got the impression that as it, as people started to disbelieve and people started to fall, it was like, you're kind of doing this to yourself type of thing. Yeah. And I mean, like, obviously the cultural element, like I said, of being like transitioning from tr trying to keep a, a warrior culture going in a time of peace is like, is really difficult and like you said they're not going to have the money because if you are in a unified 
state you have to rely on like the shogun to give you money uh or yep. to like divvy out stuff whereas if you're living in the warring in the times of the warring states you can be like well let's train some more soldiers let's like kit out our samurai the best and let's go to the next province and just take all their stuff because you know it's we can uh, and i think that that kind of there was an era of privacy a pi privacy piracy almost where people could just like go out and 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 just take what they wanted probably they were the law as well weren't they Allegedly. yes and no they were kind of like they were kind of adherent to their own law and i thought the law was really strange um there was a um so killing another um killing another samurai in in a outside of war just in a in a duel or not so much a duel in a brawl or something would was worthy of, of death you would probably get the death penalty for it but there were so many cases in the book where they acted they they killed someone in kind of in cold blood and they would still get away with it by citing their bushido code as being like they were they were trying to keep their honor intact by so what um, what would you say fighting. to this um, butchers uh, were the samurai butchers or skilled warriors with great faith and honor i think they were probably both with things in in history like this you're going to have people that that live up to the to the code to the letter and then people that are going to you know they're going to mess with it and, and try and deviate as much as they can but i think that you know they were they had martial skills that and weapons which peasantry weren't allowed um, no one was allowed to carry a sword unless you were a samurai. So realistically, if you got in an argument with a samurai and you pissed them off enough, you know, unless they were being very, uh, unless they were being very kind and really living up to the Bushido code of um, sort of like kindness and honor and benevolence and mercy, then you were probably going to get chopped to bits. And that's just the, the way it was. Uh, I think there's a difference and I think in this book it's really clear of what people say and what people do as being very different um and you know he's he says a lot of he preaches a lot of like yeah you know honor back in the day when people were honorable and they would die for their lord and they would put their lives on the line and all of these things like a samurai would never run away from it was, it was massively dishonorable like you should die facing your enemy um, with no wounds to your back and all of these things is how often did that actually happen you know how often did that really happen did people just run away from fi fighting at the end of the day you're a human being aren't you and human beings have in instincts and self-serving desires like you were talking about that that um, supersede culture sometimes and i think that that probably happened quite a lot uh, also there's the element of ronin samurai which were masterless samurai um uh, uh they may perhaps got kicked out of their um they were like they were like butchers then just traveling the thingy killing anyone who got in the way and taking what some they right some of them became bandits but i mean i think um i think i would have been a bandit i don't think i could have stayed in a in a in a, in a thingy and um, thingy for someone else and let his i think him yeah unless you were a lord oh, i think you'd probably have an issue with that <laughs> yeah i would have been like nah i'm not doing this see you later i'm out of here kill yourself don't think so <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> what maybe that's as me. I don't listen to rules as much, so I guess. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. But that's yeah. Like that's like a real cultural thing too, isn't it? Like, um, we don't have an honor culture here. 
so we it doesn't it doesn't come across the same way like when i was living in in hong kong they haven't they have a, an element of honor culture they're not as strong as the japanese but there is like for example um youth suicide is really high if people Why? fail school stuff like that they they kill themselves because they're just that's the know. shit we're doing to, we're putting pressure on our we're starting to put pressure on our kids in the uk like that. and they do, I, mean, I think they do that more in the states than they do over here where people are like if you don't get qualified you've got no future um because it's yeah. like well you've not got a degree you've not got a thingy and i'm sure if you've got a record as well people don't give people i think i've put notes in here somewhere about this that, that in fact i don't think we had space for it most men don't let men move on and make up for their mistakes uh these men who mm. have made mistakes will work harder to prove themselves and become great he actually says that in the book and when he said it yeah it's not going to come up on our notes but it, it's on my notes here and when I read that, I thought, you know, what? that's so true that uh, there's a company in our country called um, Timpsons, you know, the key cutting company. Uh, yeah, I think I've heard of them before. Timpsons. There's about 2000 of them. There, there's one in Asda in Weymouth. Just in, yes, in the that's where I've seen it. Yeah, you can turn up. Right. Well, they've got like two, three thousand different units. And what they do is they employ people direct from prison and teach them a trade and a skill. Um, which is kind of not a good skill because they learn how to break into houses, but they do yeah. that and, and, and that's how they've managed to scale and grow the business. And when you speak to somebody who works for them, who has actually been taken on as an ex-convict and has done well for themselves, the loyalty that they've got to the company, even though they could mm. probably find a job paying more elsewhere, that they've given them a skill, they've given them respect and they've given them that, is brilliant. It's like they, they, they've given them a second chance in life because these guys are, are in and out of jail, in and out of jail, and then all of a sudden it's like, um, now I don't know how big the scheme is, but I know I've spoke to people who work for them because I've had a lot of dealings with locksmiths over the years, um, who've worked for them or who work with them. And we used to subcontract a lot of work out to them. Um, and that the, what they've done for their, their staff builds so much, like, it's like, they feel like the part of a family. Yeah. Yeah. And that just shows you how strong culture can be as well, especially if that culture is based on forgiveness. Um, yeah, I believe in Japan, actually, if you go to prison and then leave prison, you don't have a criminal record. It's almost like it never happened. Is that for everything or is that just for certain crimes? Because, I mean, I would imagine I mean, if you're a, assume... a rapist or a murderer, you should probably have a criminal record. Yeah, I assume that they have some other way of tracking them. But I'm pretty sure that you don't have criminal records there because they're just like, well, you know, you did your time. You've been punished, so you shouldn't be repeatedly punished for the rest of your life. Um, I thought that was a really interesting, um, well, probably it will come up later, I think, about hypocrisy. And I think that that is one of the biggest hypocrisies in the entire, in the entire, um, in the entire culture or the book or the, the point of view that he has. It's just like, um, he says, like, I support, I support a man because he has already erred in the past or made an error. A man with no blemish on his record is more of a concern. So a man that never messes up is more concerning than a person who has like has been known to have messed up in the past. However, these are the these are also the type of people that if they make a social blunder, commit ritual suicide to yeah. atone for it. There's a lot of that it's, shit in his in his thingies. There must be some kind of nuance there that we're like a, a, a legal sort of like this is this but is the, utterly got, damning got or a, this is forgivable. It's like they weren't educated either. You've also got to think that they're not very educated. So, so, so there was no education system. They literally were brought up in fields where they were taught from a very young age to fight and kill and do whatever it is to do. At the age of 14, they was expected to have 
to go and behead somebody as a samurai. And what they used yeah. to do is they used to take them and they'd allow them to behead one or several prisoners. Um, yeah. When you think about it like that, the, 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 and apparently until they got older, they were supposed to devote themselves to the samurai culture and not read books and not get educated until they got older because they seen it as taking them, taking them away from it. So he obviously started to educate himself as he got older, but when you're old, it's a lot harder. Yeah, I I mean I was I thought that the it might have been a later thing that the the young samurai were trained like they were because I I always thought that they were both trained in in um uh in martial stuff like they were trained in the whole like the whole morning they'd wake up really early and just train with swords all the time to become really uh, good warriors and then they'd also have a like um literacy training i know poetry was a massive part of their culture so i don't i I think that you're right i think it did come later in life like they they started to study later in life that's something that the um but what do you learn from poetry (laughs) you don't learn much from poetry do you and from 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 unless you're reading and 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 they didn't want them reading did they um well i don't know i think that you uh, they he says about um studying the the sort of knowledge of their ancestors and what people have said the teachings of people that have come before so that they could learn the way um from from them like previous lords and stuff he says that he he often like studied them and it's important to remember that the guy who wrote this was not a warrior he was a scribe he was a he was a writer and he was, was taken he was on kind of they all went to one of they all went to him for advice and stuff he was kind of like the educated one in the tribe yeah i think a part of that is him flexing I think that uh, him being like, yeah, people will come to me all the time for my sage-like advice um, because I'm so knowledgeable. But his greatest, his greatest achievement in life was to go out and to seek out a book of um, a book of interpretations to poetry and bring them back to his lord because his lord was a massive fan of this particular poet, and he went out to the capital and um and got this special book and returned it to his lord that is like the culmination of this guy's life work like he was not a in the he was not in the field fighting people um and i think that that is there is a warrior element to um samurai where they all have to be trained warriors to fight and ready to fight and die in war but because these guys were living in peace like samurai became bureaucrats they just became part of the almost like the knights in the in in like england they were going on crusade, but also you've got to remember that not all of these guys were were insane warriors. Some of them, some of these knights were actually, they were like economic, like their, their job was like running their, their fiefs, their villages. They were like in charge of running those things. So they were kind of bureaucrats too. And it's the same with the samurais that the, by the end of, by the end of the samurai um, era in like the 1800s, there are samurai poets and painters and and writers and all sorts. They've just like moved into so many different um, professions, and I think that that is what happens after the Warring States period, which is kind of with these guys. So I think that there was an element. They were probably more educated than the guys a hundred years before them, um, and they definitely put uh, there was definitely an emphasis on learning, but they also did spend a lot of time fighting and trying to learn how to. The age of fourteen, I'm pretty sure it was. Everything they did up to the age of fourteen was all based around fighting and becoming, yeah. Um, and then he used to okay. say, and they were still just beginners. Let's put some statements up. Yeah, let's do it.
Uh, only when you constantly live as though already a corpse will you be able to find freedom in the martial way. Awesome. So, live each so day bad. as you're ready to die. Yeah, I think it sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Um, this. Oh, sorry. This wasn't a statement. This is just something I just put as a note. Share a lot of beliefs in Stoicism. I noticed that yeah, quite a I, lot of I, Stoic stuff. I think that that really connected to what you just said about um, only when you're constantly only when you constantly live as though you're a corpse, you will be able to find freedom in the martial way. If we if we take away the martial element, I understand the martial element of that statement of being like, only when you live, you fight as though you're already dead, you'll be able to beat anyone because they're fighting to keep themselves alive. Whereas you're, you've thrown caution to the wind and you're, you know, you're just going in, in an unstoppable rampage. There was a death frenzy was, there was a translation, it was called death frenzy, which is something that a, um, a samurai who is fighting in defense of his lord or a samurai who is outnumbered or has nothing you know he's got his defeat is certain he just goes into a death frenzy and just tries to kill as many warriors as he can on his way to getting an honorable death at the hands of his enemy so i understand how living as though you're already dead would have a benefit in that in that regard um but living as though you're already dead is a really similar concept in stoicism right marcus aurelius would say a similar thing Lovers, if you don't need anything, is is kind of what the, yeah they would would say. I, in fact, I was talking to um, a coaching client yesterday actually, um, okay. and he's I've not been able to get him to do any work for the like the last. So he made about I don't know three or four million last year. Wow. So he's he's super he's super like, but he'd, he'd never made a lot of money before, um, and and so he's paid me quite a lot of money personally to coach him, and he made about three or four million last year. And then I was talking to him yesterday, and I was like, mate, you've not been working for the last five or six months and i was like what mm-hmm. are your figures like is your business starting to drop what's going on and and he's like i don't know i've not got a clue i don't know i've not looked he says i'm just like i'm enjoying it now that i've got lots of lots of money coming in and i was like okay cool i said but if you, i said the problem is what a lot what, the reason people get rich and poor is what will happen is as, as a business owner it's the i think it's the same in life is you, you you live as if you've got nothing to lose when you don't need it and if you do things like work and, and progress and, and grow your business whilst you, you don't care about the outcome of each individual situation where you're not desperate, then you make the right decisions. And I think, and, right. and I explained to him yesterday, I said, once you, if your finances start to drop to the point where you become desperate, you'll start making the wrong decisions and you'll never be able to grow because you'll be growing your business, trying to chase cash. Um, right. Whether I got through to him or not, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it remains um, to be seen. That's quote, that reminded me of it then because it's kind of like living as though you don't need it as if you don't need anything. Um, and I think it's 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 great to be in a position, especially financially, because of the, the way the modern world is. If you're in a financial position where you don't need it, you make the right decisions. Whereas if you're not, it's the same thing. You, you're not living like like you did. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a yeah. I think the decision making element of uh, the the book and the samurai culture that he talks about is like it if a decision takes you a long time to think about then you've already messed up you've already made the wrong decision he says often about like um um even if defeat is certain um yeah even if you are certain to lose retaliate is one of the things he says um, yeah, he, he says don't don't. Yeah, I've, I've got a note of it later on in the book, but yeah. in, in the notes. But he says something about don't uh, basically don't overthink it. Just whether you're going to lose, win or lose, don't think whether you're going to win or lose. Just attack. Yes, kind of what he uh, says. He says a heroic warrior doesn't care about victory or defeat. Without hesitation, he whips himself into a deadly fury. This is when he understands when he awakens from the dream. 
I love that you, quote. You can do that with a few pints, though, can't you? <laughs> the flow state. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you can. It's like, <laughs> but it's it's the the loss of inhibitions, like the things that are holding you back. And I think that the samurai lived with so many inhibitions all the time. They were like, "Oh my god, I have to bow at a certain angle, and if I don't, I'm in loads of trouble, and I'm going to have to like apologize, and I can't say the wrong thing. What if I offend someone? And I have to be constantly aware." They talk about this thing called um, zanshin, which is um, the awakened mind, which is when you're like constantly aware of all of your surroundings and that includes social surroundings and um these people that are they're just aware all the time and really i think that that would obviously have an effect on you You'd be anxious all the time the um yamamoto josho says about how he used to write a diary of all the times he fucked up every day he would yeah. be like yeah i messed up in this social situation and i fucked this up and i did this and he just goes on and on he said he was making 20 entries a day and just being like every what night he'd have his head in his... he didn't know what depression was but it kind of got him depressed yeah and doing it yeah so he stopped doing it and was like i actually think a perfect day is impossible to lead so i'm not gonna i still mess up every day but i'm just not gonna write it down because i need to move on from it i think that's an important thing to to know but also it's interesting how the death the death deadly fury or the death frenzy that they get whipped up into in 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 their act of self-sacrifice in battle i think that that's like the ultimate like letting go of your inhibitions and being like yeah fuck it kill me let's go but, but, and it's interesting how that manifests like at the end of their life it's like they're saving up for it it's it's weird do you, do you not think like you said though everything they do every single day is all around real rules 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 and mm -hmm. then to expect them to go into a battle and not care and not follow rules is kind of ridiculous because every 99.9% .9 of their life is is based on rules and then that 1% time you're saying to them, right, you have to follow every single rule. You have to bow a certain way. You have to do this. You have to do that. If, but then when you get into a, into a battle, you have to follow this. I, I, yeah, I don't like it. Well, I think the, 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 the death frenzy only happens in very, like, uh, in moments of uh, defeat or desperation. It's not something that normally these would be very organized soldiers. It's not like they're they're like yeah let's charge and just do whatever. It's like even if defeat is certain, then then you still go for it anyway um just to maintain your honor that's kind of what it's going at i think i, I think um uh, these they were obviously their martial skills were crazy they were extremely well trained um so on the stoicism thing i thought this yeah. quote that came up next is there is only now no future or no past um i think that's a very stoic thing and and kind of this yeah. is i've reworded the way they write it but they kind of this is what they were getting at um that yeah. they just live in the moment which I think is the hardest thing to do in in in, in for any of us. Because do you find yourself whenever you're doing, even when you're reading, sometimes you're thinking about other stuff. Yeah, definitely. I've, that's something I've learned. Thinking. Yeah, that's something I've learned from getting this reading habit and, and doing this podcast is that there are moments where I'm reading and I'm just like, I'm like, it's like white noise. I'm just completely tuned out. And I've read like two pages and I'm like, oh shit. I have to reread those. I did not take any notice the whole time I was just in. Sometimes it's because I found an interesting point in the book and I'm trying to formulate it into my own thought that I can bring to a discussion like this later. And then there are other times where I'm just thinking about like what I'm going to have for dinner or like, you know, girls. Your bird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think this is one of your, your quote, not quotes because it's got a question mark and an exclamation at the end. What, yeah, I love a question mark and an exclamation. What does that mean? Uh, uh, not the quote, the question mark explanation. What does that? Why? Why would anyone do that? I know I've wrote books, and I should know this, but 
Um, well, I think it's uh, I'm trying to make a a, a point of how um, shocked I was by this revelation. Maybe like if it was just a question mark, I would be saying, um, "Is this another death cult?" Whereas now I'm saying, "Is this another death cult?" And I'm going to stick with that. Is okay. this another death cult? Because we talked um, uh, not last week, but the week before about um, the psychedelics and the religion with no name. And uh, if you die before you die, you won't die when you die was the sort of like <laughs> mantra. Yeah, it's brilliant. Isn't it? that, right. I love that. And I, I think these guys have exactly the same thing. I, I think that they are doing the same thing as this stone age death cult, which has you know, moved through Europe and has eventually turned into Christianity or may or may not have turned into Christianity. We obviously had a debate about that, but I think that these guys are doing the same thing. I think that they are almost worshipping death. I think that the the way of the warrior, the Bushido code, is almost a What do they believe when they worship. die then? Because that doesn't get mentioned. Reincarnation. The okay, so they so believe, they believe, I believe you get reincarnated seven times. Okay, so that kind of makes sense because I, I never read any of that in that part. I don't remember that part. But I was he, just there's one quote, think? and he says about um, if uh, when he dies, he hopes he's reincarnated, and he says, and all seven times, I hope I am reincarnated as a uh, as a samurai of this clan. Like I hope that I basically every time I die, I hope I come back as another member of this clan, so I can continue serving. The Lord what do they is... think to the point then? Because I mean, usually, like, um, which is the religion that believe they're going to get a hundred virgins when they die and do shit like that, right? If you um, think about I think that, that's uh, some sects of Islam, right? Well, well, if you think about that, right, that makes sense because people are selfish. People act in their own best interest, and they think to themselves, yeah. "I'm going to go and fuck a hundred birds when I die, and they're all virgins." They're like, "Yeah, I'm out of here." But for this, I don't see if they believe they're just going to get reincarnated. Then there's no death. There's nothing better than go. What's the point? Hmm. I think it's just a different perspective, isn't it? It's almost like you don't. It it takes away of that um that selfish need to have any kind of like gratification in the in the past life. In the in the sorry in the, in the afterlife. That's why we've as 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 a species we've been so successful because we're selfish. Yeah, but I think a lot of the psychology and and the sort of yeah the psychology and happiness and stuff we've been looking at like that it all says that you become happiness you become happiness what you become happy when you yeah. uh relinquish all of that that well, these, need these guys aren't doing that be these selfish. guys are constantly focused on ego it's like it, it reminded me of ego is the enemy the book i don't have we done that on here yeah ego is the enemy it was a great episode i thought we did it on here no i'm just saying yeah. have we done it on here or is it just a book that really stuck with me um, no. because it, 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 they remind me a lot they're super eager to they're like their ego is the most important thing yeah but it's like their ego is the most important thing but also their their service to their to their superior is their most important thing like more important than ego it's like they will they that's why they would die they'd willingly kill themselves and e the ego is what stops you from killing yourself like yeah, if but you die because of dishonor because of their ego well it's personal dishonor sometimes but it's also it, the dishonor comes from that they have embarrassed their lord because they are an uh, an extension of his con his command you know that like he he's in charge of them and they've not acted in the way that befits his his um people do you think do you think so, they kicked you out 
I think I'd have got kicked out of this. Uh, I have, uh, I don't know how far down it is, but I have a question about that um, <laughs> for you later on. That. So let, let's move on and we'll get to it in a bit. Um, yeah, again, this is part of the death cult thing. Uh, always be ready to die for your cause. Um, that's the way of the warrior is to be found in death is like one of the main lines that the, um, yeah, that um, this, the writer talks about um, that is the essence of Bushido is to be, um, is to be found, it's to be found in dying. So whenever you die, the way you die, uh, that is part of, um, that's the main part of Bushido. And I think that it's also, if you think about the way that we talked about it before, if you die before you die, <clears throat> there is an element to that in, in that you have to go through an ego death to do what's best for the clan and what's best for the Lord all the time. Um, if you're slighted personally, you're like, yeah, you, I've been personally slighted and offended, but I will not act because if I act, I will dishonor myself and then that will bring dishonor onto my Lord and I will have to commit seppuku. So I will have to, you know, like... Seppuku is suicide, by the way, in case... Yes, you seppuku, if, if you didn't know, is ritualized suicide, um, uh, which I will describe later on um, because it's pretty gross. This this quote from, from from in the book, right? I was ready to die for your cause. Got me thinking about entrepreneurs, and I think it's the same thing. And entrepreneurs need to be ready. They need to be prepared to fail. They need to be ready to fail in their mission, right? Mm -hmm. And as soon as you're ready to fail in your mission, you can push forward in the right direction. I think it's the same sort of thing. These guys are talking about going into war. See, I always relate everything back to business and entrepreneurs and things that I like do because it because I like it. But this kind of quote, when they said it, I thought. That kind of fits with everything. But like it's like anything in life, you need to be ready to fail in any anything in life if you wanna um if you wanna do it right, if you wanna do it well. And as soon as you accept failure yeah. rather than procrastinating about it and thinking about it rather than not doing it, as soon as you accept failure, you can push forward. Yeah. Um, he says uh, if if a man is prepared to accept a loss from the outset, he cannot be beaten. I think that that's love it. Pretty cool. If you're ready to lose, you can't you can't lose. Um, uh, even if there are a thousand enemies in waiting, a warrior must have the grit to charge forth and cut through one after another. Um, again, I think that I, I, I like this because it sounds badass, right? But I also think that this is an interesting point to talk about how romanticized the, the war and like sacrifice in war and stuff is in this book. Because like I said before, this guy's not a warrior and uh, even though the samurai are kind of at this point when he's writing the book in the 1700s, they're almost like warriors imprisoned by peace. They're like living in a peaceful time. They can't like express themselves in the martial way, which is probably why there's so much, um, um, so much sort of like um, killing amongst themselves. Like they, they keep like fighting. And this guy admired, the, admired the, the samurai then. Do you think he wanted to be one, but he couldn't? Because he, he said when he was born, his dad was 70. His dad died yeah. when he was 10, and he was born weakly, and they said he'll never walk properly. So this guy was born, obviously, with a lot of deficiencies, and he, but he yeah. had a brain. Well, he was he was a samurai, but he was not uh, probably not a, uh, a... It wouldn't be first choice as a warrior. I think he tells a story where he says... Um, I, he's being deployed to travel with his lord somewhere. And I think they might be fighting someone or preparing to confront someone. And um, he is in the second wave of, of um, like almost like the reinforcements. He's in the, the, the lord is in the front one and he is, he's back in the second one. So he goes to his commanding officer and says, um, 
I can't obey this command because you've put me in the second wave and my honor dictates that I must be beside my Lord to, to be ready to sacrifice my life for him. So if I can't be in the first wave, then I must refuse your order and I'm willing to commit seppuku, the ritual suicide, um, to maintain my honor in this matter and not actually do what you're telling me to do. And the his commanding officer was like, yeah, you know what? I appreciate a headstrong, a headstrong warrior. I like that kind of attitude. So he puts him in the front line with his with his lord. That's one of the stories he tells. He also me. says most 14 to 16 year olds go into the front and people would lie about their age when they were older so that they could go into the front because of the honor. That, that just seemed like mm. pure e egotistic. Did you read that bit? Yeah, I must have. I, I must have seen it at some point, but I didn't. I don't think I I don't. Maybe I didn't stop on that point. Maybe I, I just glanced over it. But that's really interesting to put the young warriors in the front. It would be. Yep. You know, I know in Roman, in the Roman legions, they had like three separate age groups, didn't they? They had like the, but the middle ones went first. And I think the youngest ones were in the middle and then the oldest ones were at the back. And then the oldest ones would come to the front in order to like finish it. I mean, um, the oldest ones are going to make it so they go to the back, aren't they? So that they got less chance of dying. But apparently well, it's, it's also less chance of dying, but they, sorry. No, apparently they sent all the front. That's what he says. The, the 14 to 16 year olds go into the front and older men would lie about their age so they could have the honor of being at the front during battle. That's so hardcore. Like that, I'm genuinely surprised after reading this book that anybody lived, that there aren't just like four people living on the whole island of Japan. Like, Do you not think the whole of history is this brutal though? Everywhere. That's why, that's why modern society since after... In, since this century, let's say the 1900s, people have gone very, very... If you imagine living in... in but more like, people have died in the 1900s than in any of these other eras. Yeah, that's because we're fucking like jackrabbits and there's billions of us now, whereas there was no... There was only few people on the... There, there wasn't... The, the population was so low that for the amount of people to die, when you look at the actual percentages of population that's dying now in comparison, we've, our life expectancies like tripled almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, the life expectancy here must be so low. I can't even, like, because obviously they'd have infant mortality the same as everywhere else had bad infant mortality rates in this in this day and age. But then they also had just a culture of self-sacrifice, which is just, oh yeah, crazy. Um, all right, next note. If, if you wonder whether you should live or die, it is better to die. This was a, uh, this was from a, um, uh, a poet, I think. This is a line from a Japanese poet. He says, uh, there's another quote he says about eating. I think I've put it down here somewhere. So if I look like I'm shaking around in my chair, you know when you get your knee and it needs to crack? Ooh, yeah. You get a little air in your, in your kneecap. Kicking me, yeah, under my desk. Um, <laughs> uh, he said, if you wonder whether you should eat or not eat, then you should not eat. And then the next line of that poem is, if you wonder whether you should live or die it is better to die i should not eat then yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's when, yeah well, when i'm thinking to myself oh i fancy a packet of them just don't do it don't do it <laughs> unless you're starving don't do it yeah learning to be hungry again that's uh really uh, people talk about like weight loss and stuff it's like yeah just wait until you're actually hungry rather than you you notice how long it takes you to actually get hungry rather than it's a like, habit now isn't it yeah yeah because we're, we're not we're not truly hungry very often. You can go a long time without food. People would normally eat like one meal a day. Yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing for ages. But recently, I've, I've, I don't eat till two o'clock in the afternoon. 
Um, and then I'll stop eating about eight. So I think, I think uh, Okinawa, which is an island at the um, southern tip of Japan, I might get that wrong, um, that has one of the highest, if not the highest life expectancy in the world at the moment. It's, a, it's called a, a blue zone, I think. And one of the reasons why they believe that their life expectancy is so long there is because they don't eat very much. Mate, that not in right, terms mate. of like they're all really hungry. It's just that they they have a culture where it's it's rude to finish all the food on your plate. It shows that you're greedy to eat all of it. So you actually leave a little bit on there. Um, I remember and, reading yeah. a book about called Born to Run, and um, it was about. All right. Oh, I was going to suggest we do that one. We should definitely, mate. I've I've read I've like I've read a lot of the ones we've already done once before, but I read them better okay. when we do them. But they spawn to run. They, they they've got these guys who when they go out traveling, like they live in these mountains and stuff like that, and whatever they've got on the feet, and they'll go running like a hundred miles mm-hmm. to get some and run a hundred miles back as if it's nothing. And you're talking fifty, sixty. Let's not talk about it. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Um, is this one of your notes? Because I didn't write this. Suicide. Yeah, I did. I wrote it. I think it's a really important thing to talk about in the uh, in the context of the book and like samurai and the whole culture and even modern Japan is that um, suicide is, uh, well, the ritualized suicide is called seppuku. And uh, what seppuku was, was that you would um, get your, your short blade, whose name I can't remember. I don't know if you can remember the name of the short sword. I know I katana is the long the one. I have a katana here, actually, um, which I was yeah. given as a prop, just in case. He's fell out um, with one of the women on reception, so... Yeah, He's brought his samurai and he's thinking to... My, my honour was encroached yeah. upon, so I'm going to go <laughs> and chop her head off and then commit seppuku. Um, so you, you'd, you'd slit open your stomach with your short sword, uh, you disembowel yourself essentially and then your second if you were lucky enough to have a second because disemboweling yourself is a pretty painful horrible way to die your second would then use that katana to cut off your head um which and the ritual disembowelment is because they believed that the soul was in the stomach and by uh cutting open the stomach is to release the soul does that mean they won't be reincarnated uh, no, I think you are reincarnated after seppuku. So there really is no dishonouring suicide, is there? Well, um, yeah, I guess it, was, it would depend how it was done. I think if it was ritualised, like seppuku, and there's another one which was a ritualised self-immolation, so setting yourself on fire. Um, pretty heavy stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm good, thanks. Um setting yourself on fire that was that was another way of ritually killing yourself i think if it was done in that sort sort of way then it was seen as as a way of um reclaiming your honor which is i i mean to if you're thinking if you think that death is like the central part of this culture then being able to face death and literally do it to yourself in a horribly painful way is like it shows that you were kind of brave and courageous even if your actions didn't um, didn't um, demonstrate that. Uh, Alden says, did they believe in reincarnation? Um, I think they did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they did believe in reincarnation. Um, you just said before they got reincarnated seven times? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure they believed in, in the Buddhist reincarnation of seven times. I think it's seven times. Um, yeah, and the reason why death was central in this culture dishonor is worse than death so if you if you mess up really badly and dishonor yourself you've you've 
done something that's even worse than dying. So seppuku is actually, you know, good in that regard. It's a nice, it's a, it's a good way of getting out of this. If you think um, about how many arguments you have uh, with people throughout life, and these guys would always pull a sword out and deal with it that way. You won't be around yeah, very long, would you? He says quite he says a few times in the book, like um uh to like be careful about drawing your sword and getting into a scrap because um you know, you you'll probably end up having to kill yourself because of it, because you'll you will mad in it. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's I, it's I, insane. Utterly insane. I I really struggled to get my head around how people lived in a day to day life. Like, um, so even if you think you will lose, still retaliate. Really, again, uh, dishonor is worse than death, and all of the the death related things. And you shouldn't draw your sword and fight with someone unless you're really like you know your honor is on the line. And then they also say stuff like, if you think you'll lose, just retaliate anyway. It just, it's so strange, like that they believe that and. I, I like the idea of it, though. If you think you're going to lose, retaliate anyway. Like, even if things aren't going your way, see it through to the end, um, and you'll probably learn from that, or in this case, die honorably. Oh, yeah. So this is the question I had for you. So how long would you survive in feudal Japan? <laughs> Mate, I would have died really young because I argue a lot. I don't know mm. why I argue a lot. But I do argue a lot because I won't. If somebody says something and I disagree with it, I'll tell them. Even mm -hmm. if there's no point in telling them, and I can't help it, it's like, nah, you're full of shit. <laughs> well, they, he says that that that's a really important thing that a good a good retainer or a good samurai would do, even if their lord has said something that they don't agree with. They believe that going to going to him or going to a superior and saying, "Look, I didn't actually agree with that. I think this is how it should be," and passing that feedback on. Is a really honourable thing to do. Closed doors, though, doesn't he? he says, don't, "Don't do it in public. Do it behind closed doors. Otherwise, you'll think either on you, they're on either kill you." Yep. Um, yep. But if it... you, yeah, you should basically keep it a secret. And if you do anything that you would get glory for, what you should do is tell your master that you've done it, and then they'll get the glory for it instead. Mm -hmm. He says, "How can you expect a man to become a better person by humiliating them?" So you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Uh you shouldn't humiliate people by telling them their faults but you should he explains exactly how to do it as well he's like when you want to make a person um when you want to communicate a fault that someone has made and you want to bring it up to them the best way of doing it is bringing up a fault that you have with yourself and talking and asking their opinion on that fault in yourself and then once you're talking about the fault in yourself you can start to bring up the fault that you have with that other person and you're less likely to fall out because of it it must have been so important so important to stay on good terms with the people around you because if you offended someone you're even if you offend someone and they attack you and they've dishonored themselves so they have to kill themselves if you defend yourself you also dishonor yourself and have to kill yourself it's like what the hell how do i get out of this exactly what you've just said then has been copied by think and grow rich uh how to win friends and influence people i think 47 laws of power the art of war there's like tons of people who've written that exact same thing Mm -hmm. that, um, whether it came from me or it came from now, I don't know which ones came out first. Art of War, probably. Is that really old? It's pretty old. I think it's older than this. It's like ancient Japan, ancient China, Art of War. Um, okay, winning by deceit is worse than losing with dignity. Okay, and I've written on, uh, I've written up to this uh, Musashi and strategy, meaning the art of strategy. 
Um, winning by deceit is worse than losing in, in with dignity. Do you do you agree with that? No. I don't give a shit how I win. If I'm going to win, if I want to win, I'm going to win, and I don't give a shit about, about with with dignity or not dignity. Who gives a shit if you win the dead or especially in these days? Yeah, uh, it's that's like, what I was thinking alive, too. Dead. No, I don't agree. It's like <laughs> if your life's on the line, surely the only way victory is the only thing you should think of. I know these guys are like, well, your life isn't that important. Honor is the most important thing. So if it means you lose honorably, it's if better you win than winning. And you laugh at someone and say, ah, I tricked you. <laughs> And then yeah. you walk off a winner and they're the loser. That's that's definitely much better than 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 losing. Yeah, I mean, I I spoke about uh, Musashi uh, Miyamoto Musashi and his like famous sword duel that he has. Um, and he he wins by breaking a load of conventions to the duel. He shows up really late, and instead of bringing a sword, he just uses the oar from the boat that he paddles to the island with. So he ends up fighting with a weapon that this guy's never fought against. So his style is all about fighting a man with a katana. And he, and suddenly Musashi shows up with just a massive wooden pole and starts smacking him. And he's like, Oh my God, I can't, I can't do anything. So he's won by deceit, but he's the most famous um, sword master strategist in Japanese history and a cultural icon. So really that, you know, they, they also say that, that obviously the samurai were, 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 were like master swordsmen and all that, and the, the, the stuff they wore was made super light, um, almost as, as, as light as aluminium, but not as strong. Um, and what they figured out when they were fighting against the samurai was that you could, a, a swordsman versus swordsman, you hit with a sword, it would hit the thing and it wouldn't go through. Mm-hmm. But if you got one of these um, guys with a big lump hammer... <laughs> Uh, even if you hit them, because so obviously they try and block it with the sword, it'll just snap through the sword or it'll just push the sword towards them. So what they found is when they were fighting with with samurais, what 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 other warriors would do is turn it with like big mallets and big thingies because the armor they wore was only good against a sharp blade. It wasn't good yeah. against pressure or thingies. So they would so so it wasn't. Although they thought it was the best martial, like, if somebody brought brute force to them, they were screwed. Well, it's it's the same concept of styles make fights, isn't it? Like, yeah. um, like the Persian army was amazing. The Achaemenid Persian army was insane. It was it was literally conquering every every nation that they came across. They were ended up as a massive empire, and then they invaded um, the mainland of Greece and they got really close to Athens into a town uh, into a place called Marathon, which is, this is where the marathon comes from the the running race. Um, they boarded all of their soldiers off of their ships, but the soldiers were wearing like thin, like thin armor. And they, what they did was they mixed, they'd have these like guys with wooden or like um, almost like grass shields and, and um, shorts or, and short spears. And then they'd have guys with like very light tunics and bows and arrows. And they like came they came off the ships first and they didn't bother getting the cavalry off the ship because it was taking ages for the cavalry to come off. They were like, we'll leave them on the ship for now. And then the Greeks rolled up and the Greeks wore bronze, really like heavy stuff, big, heavy shields with really long spears. And even though the Greeks were like a, a fraction of the, as, as advanced as the Persians, the Persians believed that the Greeks were barbarians at this point because they were, they were not that advanced in, in philosophy and all of these things like we like we see them 
today. Um, they were like, what are these like idiot barbarians going to do to us? They don't even have bows and arrows. They don't even have cavalry. Um, and the, the Greeks ended up winning in that battle because they just charged in like lunatics. And because they had longer spears and heavier armor, they just crushed the Persians. And the Persians were like, what the hell? This doesn't make any arrows sense. Bounce off it, wouldn't it, as well? If you yeah, think they could like, put so the shields like up and block the arrows. And yeah, and they just, they just ran through them. And uh, yeah, and the Persians were like, shit, let's get out of here. And uh, they got back on their boats and were like, why don't we just go to Athens? So they sailed off to Athens and the, the Greeks had to run to Athens to try and catch them before the boats showed up. And it was 25 miles, which is where uh, the marathon race comes from. Marathon is 25 miles away from Athens. And they had to run to try and beat the Persian boats. And they did. That is how the story goes, is that they beat the Persian boats. There. They ran That's 26 mile and they'd never even trained. So that proves it. Oh, they on. trained all the time. Were like, <laughs> uh, the Greek phalanx were like, mile. <laughs> yeah, not to run that far, but they were super well trained. So I, the, yeah. I don't understand cool. the next one. You, this is one of yours. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's more of just a topic thing. So samurai culture in the modern age. I wanted to talk about how like that, because the Hagakure was, uh, was banned for quite a long time or hidden. Uh, the name of the name Hagakure actually means hidden under leaves. Um, which is quite a, an interesting name for it. So perhaps it was a hidden text, originally a hidden text. It was meant to be secretive, like secret knowledge. Um, and um, it was banned for a long time. And then it came back in the, uh, in uh, just before World War II. And it was used to drum up a, a, a sort of nationalist, um, a nationalist pride and a cultural sort of an, a, a a reinvigoration of the honor culture, like to bring honor culture back to Japan after it had been westernized. And um, they, lots of people believe that the Hagakure was one of the texts that's responsible for how absolutely insane the Japanese were in World War II. Um, for example, um, Oh, because the they kind of read it, believed in it, and then went for it. Mm -hmm. Like they really started to like believe. And I mean, uh, officers in the Japanese army would carry katanas with them for like hand-to-hand -hand combat there's a there's a my great-grandfather fought in burma in the war and he I, I never met him but he told my granddad about some things about the war and he, he i think it messed him up pretty badly burma was a pretty scary place fighting the japanese was not where you wanted to be uh that they even though they weren't necessarily the most uh technologically advanced army or the most tr like they didn't have the most um history as an army because they were fairly new they'd only really had an army since the start of the 1900s um they were terrifying because they just didn't retreat or surrender because to them surrender was worse than like the worst possible thing you could do it'd be, it'd be like being a pedophile or something it is like the most hideously embarrassing thing you could do so they wouldn't they wouldn't quit or run away um and um he said in, in in there was one point where they ran out of bullets in a gunfight in in burma and the gurkhas who were a the serving on the british side do you know about the gurkhas they were uh they're nepalese they were a nepalese, a nepalese warrior culture sorry so i had it muted then no i don't know about the gurkhas <laughs> okay yeah they're like a nepalese warrior culture they come from um the himalayas um and they, uh, when Britain was in India, the Gurkhas ended up, uh, we fought with the Gurkhas and they did crazy, crazy things considering they didn't use guns. They only fought with these special like curved knives. Um, and 
they still managed to inflict casualties on the British army. And we were so impressed that we um, invited them to join our armed forces as a specialist unit. And they did. And they still serve us to this day. They were Gurkhas that serve in Afghanistan and whatever. Um, they were, in fact, they were really played a major role in the Falklands War. They, they, they kicked serious ass in the Falklands. Um, but they kick ass wherever they go. And they were, um, the Japanese ran out of bullets. And they, so they drew their swords and charged the Gurkhas. And the Gurkhas drew their knives and charged back. And they ended up having an actual hand-to-hand battle in the jungle, like old school and um, yeah, apparently it was it was insane, and the Gurkhas won because they oh, trained with their knives brutal. every day. Yeah, yeah, it was really ah. Uh, so the Japanese had read the Hagakure, but they'd not actually trained with the samurai every they day. They weren't training with the samurai swords, so even though they they fought with the swords, they 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 got um they got wrecked. Yeah, the Gurkhas are badass. Alden says Gurkhas are badass. Absolutely true. They're so so cool, and uh, in fact, one of them I believe won a. Uh, a medal for service in the British Army recently because he killed something like twenty Taliban on his uh, on his own. He got like stuck in a guard post and he got attacked and he ran out of bullets and ended up having to just like beat people to death with his bare hands and it was horrific. He like killed like three men with just a knife, which is just wild when you think about it. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd never go to. I'd never go in the army. No, nope, not I know for me. People who want to do it can do it, but it's not for me. Yeah, and, it, and it's great. You know, I think some sometimes armed forces are, are, are necessary to defend your country because not everyone's as peaceful as, you know, everyone else. But uh, What's yeah, the Black Samurai? The Black Samurai? Um, I was the, So the first Japanese Samurai are really, obviously, famous. But have you ever watched The Last Samurai, the, the movie yep. with Tom, Tom Cruise? Tom Cruise? So in that he he he's an American, but in in that in the film, but originally that guy was a Frenchman, um, and he was a, a Frenchman who ended up integrating into the samurai culture and became a samurai. But he was not the first foreigner to become a samurai. The first foreigner to become a samurai was an African man. Um, they don't know his name, uh, his original name, but they know that his samurai name was Yasuke. Have you heard of this guy before? Yeah, he's in the book. Do they mention Yasuke in the book? They do. They mention him, and they say they don't know his name, and and yeah, they call him the the, the first African black samurai. Unless I've read it somewhere else, um, and yeah, there's the, yeah, he's definitely in there somewhere. Awesome. I've read yeah, it I, twice I, now, so that's kind of yeah. Maybe it, I thought I maybe that's why you've got the got the drop on me. But um, yeah, the, the I started thinking about him when I was reading this. I thought it was really cool. Um, uh, Yasuke, he was a well. People aren't sure whether he was a slave or not. They believe he probably was. He was. Uh, he came to Japan with the Portuguese. The Portuguese in the 1500s were the only people allowed to trade with Japan. People used um, to die trying to get over each other to get uh, to see him and stuff like that. They'd climb over yes. each other and climb. He's like the first. He was like a super celebrity. One. He was a He's massive celebrity. Yeah. Awesome. Well, he wasn't the first. He wasn't the first black person in Japan. But he was the first black man to go inland in Japan, and he was accompanying. He was a bodyguard for a Portuguese Jesuit priest who wanted to form a church in Japan. So he followed him inland as a bodyguard, and um, like you said, they went to a temple, and then there was a massive crush to try and see him, and he became really famous, and word spread. And the shogun, the man who had just united Japan at the end of the Warring States, um, Oda Nobunaga, 
he was like, oh, I, I want to meet this guy. So he brought the Jesuit priest and Yasuke, um, the, his black bodyguard, to his, uh, to his castle, and he had him scrubbed by his servants in front of everyone because he didn't believe that his skin was actually black. He believed that he was um, faking it. He covered himself in ash. So they scrubbed. Had he really, or was was he? No, he was. He was an African man. They think he was probably from Mozambique or modern day South Sudan. They're not entirely sure where he was from, but they know that he lived in Goa in India before, and that's probably where he got freed as a slave. Because in India, if your master died, you'd be freed. So they think that that's how he ended up free because he was a free man, a hundred percent, almost a hundred percent confirmed that he was a free man when he was in Japan, and um, uh, yeah, so. They saw him. Yasuke was six foot two, which is about two meters tall. If you don't use that, and so the average samurai, the average, was five high, foot two. Yeah. The average samurai was five foot at this time in Japan. So they were they were a foot and a bit smaller than him, which is obviously um, a big difference. And and they believe that he was already a warrior because he was a bodyguard. So he was already probably trained in some kind of warrior culture when he got to japan so they were utterly fascinated by him and um eventually oda nobunaga took him on as his own bodyguard in a trade he was like i'll let you set up a church mr priest and i will take your bodyguard from you and he will serve as my retainer and the priest was like yeah all right that sounds good to me so he 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 gave um yasuke to nobunaga and they became really uh, really close and they would talk all the time and there's a a painting of yasuke wrestling like sumo wrestling and throwing someone and uh you can imagine all these little guys trying to wrestle this huge black dude he's just (laughs) chucking him around that'd be so funny um yeah and he eventually he served nobunaga as his like closest bodyguard and in the end when nobunaga was killed he was betrayed and killed in a temple whilst he was doing a tea ceremony. He only had 10 samurai guarding him, and um, Yasuke was one of them. And uh, a whole entire enemy army came in. Yasuke was the last man alive in the whole um, thing. He bought enough time for Oda Nobunaga to commit seppuku, and um, he was eventually uh, he was captured. And they believe he wasn't killed because of his connection to the Portuguese. They wanted to keep him sweet so that they could get the guns because Oda Nobunaga won these the warring kingdoms, like the whole whole warring states thing. He won it by getting guns from the Portuguese, by having a good relationship with them. So this other daimyo uh, or lord or leader was like, oh, I want to keep this guy, and then we can make friends with the Portuguese, and we can get some of the guns. So um, allegedly, and they kept was, him alive. He was the first foreign samurai. Yeah. Uh, to people's knowledge, he was the first ever foreign samurai. I mean, we say foreign probably non-Asian part of me thinks perhaps a, although they hated them, a, a, someone from China or even, even more hated for the Japanese Korean could probably have maybe integrate integrated if they were born there or captured when they were young or something like that. Perhaps they would, that's, they would be the young, the, the actual foreign samurai, but he was the first non-Asian samurai for sure. Well, that we have on record, but I think yeah. it's an awesome story. Awesome story. Um, and definitely worth looking up if you're listening. I I wrote this down, so I put samurai, gladiators, slaves equal very similar lifestyle, but one wants to serve whilst the others are forced to serve. When I'm reading this and looking at this and looking at some of the stuff that I've gone through with you in the past to, to do with slaves and to do with gladiators and history and stuff like that, I see their lifestyles as very, very similar. They don't get much in return for 
committing themselves to what they do. But the only difference I can see is gladiators wanting to fight for freedom. Slaves mm-hmm. have been forced into doing what they do. Um, obviously, not not so much in, in, in the fighting side of things. Uh, but And then samurai wanted it. It's like they, they brainwashed them into like, yep, I want to serve. I'm born to serve. Yes. I think you, this is a really interesting point. And I think that you can look at this in modern day and be like, working a nine to five job to live like yeah but nobody wants it do they these guys wanted it exactly no but we do want it that's the crazy thing is we go to university to study to get a better one like we we outwardly we maybe we say we don't want it but our action the show otherwise and i think that that's maybe the case with the samurai is that they were enslaved almost to their own sort of cultural norm of wanting to serve the the lord whereas we are kind of enslaved in a way to our cultural norm of of uh capitalism and wanting to get more stuff and collecting things it was conned by their own culture weren't they into believing what they were doing was was honorable but if you think about it like gladiators had to be arrested or bought or something to be forced into becoming gladiators slaves again it was it was done under force and violence and mm-hmm. they, 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 if they would have got the opportunity to escape 90 percent or 95 percent probably would have escaped first opportunity yeah. especially the gladiators because obviously they face death every single day but mm-hmm. these guys wanted it it was like it didn't make sense to me when i was i was thinking did they not think like I'm a I'm a bit stupid because I want to serve and I want to put myself in danger and I want to live a life that most people that, that, that obviously they've outlawed having gladiators who fight one another to the death. They've outlawed slavery in most countries, and now yeah. it's the case whereas these guys is looked at as though they were doing something special, like they were doing something honourable, yeah. and they believed it's it. romanticised, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it kind of wasn't, was it? Really, if you think about it, it was just it was just it was just told in a different way. It shows the power of story. Yeah, it really does. And I think, uh, I mean, there is a romantic, it, it is romantic in a way, isn't it? Thinking of these, like, these warriors and that, like, awesome helmets and, like, the their armor looked so cool. The, um, you put, you put, once you put it on twice, it's like a new car. It's just a fucking car. It doesn't matter yeah. if I drive a Bentley or a Ferrari um, or a Ford Fiesta. After a week, it's just a car. Um, yeah. And I guess but, it's the same thing. There are, and, and also the discipline element of it, I think, is also quite romantic. I mean, there's a reason that martial arts have caught on so well in the West. Like, we love, love martial arts because of it. And, um, you know, like I did, um, I've done karate and judo and I do jujitsu now. And like all of those are Japanese. I mean, jujitsu is Brazilian, but by way of Japan. So it's is it brazilian almost, was the original one because obviously when people say brazilian jiu-jitsu or jiu-jitsu where's the original jiu-jitsu from well the original jiu-jitsu is japanese it's um jiu-jitsu is a uh is a very broad term it's kind of like kung fu kung fu is a really broad term it just means like fighting style or fighting like combat and jiu-jitsu means the same pretty much um japanese jiu-jitsu's got a lot more strikes and a lot less uh, yeah japanese jiu-jitsu kind of like MMA basically it's like punching and groundwork um it's like karate and judo put together um but it, it was it, but interestingly jujitsu is what judo used to be so there was a the education minister for Japan Kano Jigoro was a um he was a jujitsu practitioner and he had his own style and his style 
um, was called Kano Jiu-Jitsu. And eventually when it became mainstream, he was like, hmm, it's a bit egotistical to have my name attached to it. I'm just going to call it Judo, which is the gentle way. Um, and he ended up putting it in schools. Um, so Judo is just Jiu-Jitsu. And Judo, um, it was Judoka, guys who practice Judo, from the Kodokan, which is like the Judo university that Jigoro Kano set up. They, during the rubber boom, there was a massive... Um, uh, economic boom in the price of rubber so lots of japanese people moved across to brazil to uh, make their money in the rubber boom and the japanese guys that went across there a number of them were students of judo and when they got there uh, a lot of them didn't make the kind of money they were expecting to make so in order to to make ends meet they would train people in the art of judo and the basically that art ended up kind of getting bastardized by the guys in Brazil and they made it into um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which focuses more on the ground. And for those that don't know, judo is a lot about throwing and very little groundwork now, modern judo. Um, but that's where it comes from. They think that they focused on the groundwork because they didn't have any mats there. So they like throwing people onto a wooden floor is not okay. something that you can do, especially if you're training with people that are manual workers. You can't be like... Yeah, all right, tomorrow you can go to work back doing your manual labor job and <laughs> after me throwing you onto a little wooden floor. So they think that that's why it was, uh, they focused on groundwork there. But really a cool. A friend of mine, I think I told you the story about it. He went to live in a, a temple in Bali. He, he used to own oh, a record sick. label and he got stamped on his balls by some oh, guys while God. he was out in London. Um, and he couldn't use them anymore. It, it completely ruined him. So Holy he, shit. He, he, he took off to Bali Um let his record label die, yeah, and he went and trained in, in, in a temple in Bali for 14 years, um, and when he came back to the UK and all these bits were working again and stuff like that, and, and he said to me, they trained on concrete floors, just on normal solid concrete, and, he, and, and uh, he, he rented out this place where we did some uh, we did some training together, and he was getting us doing these jump rolls in this, this solid floor, um, and it was uh -huh. hurting the bottom of my back, right on the bottom of my back there, the bone. It's yeah, the tailbone. It's like... Yeah, he's like, you'll get used to it. And I was like, mate, it's horrible. The next day I could hardly walk. And we did it for like mm -hmm. three to six months, trained all the time. But he, he basically said in, in, in Bali, when he went over to Bali, when he first went over there, he said his feet were bleeding his, because he was on the floor and it was like sandpaper style floors. And he said, and, and these little little um, Balinese the guys that had been there forever would, would slap him about. And um, he said, but it was the best thing he ever did. Um, yeah. There's definitely something to that kind of training, isn't there? Just like, actually like i think you break yourself down like physically sure you break yourself down because you hurt yourself and you're always beating up but there's also just like the ego death that you face when you're just you're shit at something and the punishment of being shit at it is getting beaten up physically whereas like the, you know the punishment of me screwing up at work is like you know maybe someone's like oh you know you, you might chew me out for something not that you do but maybe you do or the you know or i lose money or something like that happens the the repercussions aren't physical and I think that that's a good thing about martial arts is when you're doing it wrong, it hurts and you're actually like learning through pain. <laughs> so just look over your right shoulder a sec. Look over my right shoulder. Yeah. Oh, look, there's the oh. pain of doing martial arts wrong. You see yeah. the black eye. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's the other you side, see... isn't it? Is that one you're looking the wrong way? I think the camera's reversed, isn't it? It's one of these. No, it's the other one, that one. It's that one. Uh, I can see it, yeah. yeah. You can see yeah, it more I've in the had... real world. I've had like three in in two weeks. It's like you've had one every every week. You come in with a black eye. I'm, like, I'm sure Callum goes out battering people on a weekend. 
Yeah, right. I'm one of those superhero guys, like the, that dude who dressed up as a superhero and used to go out and batter criminals. Nah, not for me. I'm just really shit at jujitsu. There, there, there is one thing that is damaging to a man in service, and that is to seek riches and honor. This here is a mm. statement that they say, which when I read it, and the reason I put it in, is that I, I find it completely unbelievable that people would actually read that and say, okay, I don't want riches. I don't want honor. I just want to serve. I mean, he tricked them, didn't they? Yeah, pretty much. They were, they were, they were just a, yeah, like a glorified servant class. But again, you could say the same for for us, like people in people in not necessarily you because you're a little more financially free than me. But but it's other than the average person, even it's just that it's like why would you ever get yourself in that situation where you're serving this person for like nothing and the price of failure is death? Like, it's so weird that you get yourself in that situation and that the, the leaders somehow manage to, to, if you break the rules, you kill yourself. So I don't even need to punish you. And that's kind yes. of how they live their lives. It's like, I tell you what, it's like, it's like me, me, me saying to, 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 to some of my staff, like, right. If you make any, if you make any spelling mistakes on this webpage, you have to go and, stab yourself in the stomach and then the person who, who's your manager has to cut your head off <laughs> yeah <laughs> you'd be like fuck off i'm not working there that's why we've got the katana in the office <laughs> yeah just it in was case like nuts. when i was when i was looking i was looking at it like like in a logical way i'm thinking these guys were proper tricked in my opinion yeah um there is an honor about it and it's very easy to get carried away with the honor of it and the 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 the, the um so the, the glorification i don't know if that's the real word the, like how the how it's glorified mm-hmm. and i guess like the last summer i did that glorified it a lot more for people but when you look at it in the real world and you and you look at it logically from from i don't see it i see it as a bunch of guys who got absolutely tricked and lived their whole lives and were believing they were going to be uh brought back seven times and that that suicide was fine is if you make a mistake dishonor it's all right don't worry about it just kill yourself <laughs> yeah it's yeah, crazy how like that. extreme like how extreme it gets so almost you can it's believable isn't it to a point well i don't mean that it didn't happen i just mean it's it's believable that people would buy into it to a point where it's like yeah it's all about honor and fighting to the last man and you, you know you can ask the average guy down the street like you know if someone broke in right now what would you do and he'd be like oh i'd sacrifice myself to protect all the women and it's like there is like a, a masculine urge to uh, i think there is a deep masculine urge to to die for a cause i think that that is something that I don't know. Do you do you think that's true? Unless it's me kids or my family, no. Yes, that no, that's what I mean. I think but it is. Like, my final thought, yeah, is on here today. Actually, po- points out that section, and that's kind of what I took from I, this today. It's like, I th- yeah. Go, Go on. on. <laughs> no, <laughs> move on to the next one. All right, do it. Oh, you've moved on to the next one. The next. All right, horrible. sorry, I moved on to the next one because I thought you were done on that one. No, no, no I, I am kind of done. I was the only thing I was going to say is that yeah, I think I think that there is a, an internal that I think there is a um obviously there's a I think there's a, a motherly urge as well to like protect your child, of course, but I think that there's a, a masculine urge to just protect. You know how it was a cultural thing, even though the um, women and children were almost universally in Western culture treated horribly for large parts of our history like children like working in mines and like you know like women have women have been treated like shit forever and the, the w- women have been treated able. horrifically for a really long time and and yet and women and children now. first 
yeah, yeah. In in some, yeah, I, I, I would everywhere, say. even over here, I think it's 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 terrible, man. What goes on? Absolutely fucking terrible. I didn't know any of it until I started doing this with you and looking at some of history and things. And then I've looked into it more and more and more, and I'm like, oh my god, it's like we're absolute wankers. Men are absolute wankers. But I guess if I if I if I argued that in an educated way, <laughs> it made more sense. But me just saying men are wankers, that's just how I see it as in in in, in a show. But yeah, when you look at the way the shit that we've done, and, yeah. I mean there's a statement in here in a bit which I will get to, which I think is disgusting. Yeah. But I think uh, as much as horrible we've done horrible things and we continue to do horrible things and 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 um despite you know, I think things are changing, but slowly, especially if you look at it in the grand scheme of things. Um, women and children first is just like a universally accepted rule. But everyone's like, mean? women and children first, like off the Titanic, women and children first, like get them on the boats first. Yeah. Um, like if, but if women create a, life if and the kids are the future, it's survival yeah, of the exactly. It, We're it like it a makes bacteria, sense. aren't we? But and we want to survive, so yeah. the survival instinct says, look after your kids and your women. Right, so do you, that's what I mean. So, do you think there is a masculine urge, a male urge to self-sacrifice? Do you think that that's what they're playing on? That's the the instinct that they're exploiting to make men do this, like seppuku and all of that stuff. Do you think that that's what they're tapping into? Because I was really struggling to find out why people would actually do that. And then, if I look at it in the base urges, I do think you know the the um cinema shooting in aurora i think it was aurora in the batman film and and they found like three three of the people that died had jumped on top of their girlfriends in the in the cinema and died i, I think protecting yeah you, do you, you think a, that a that's man, just a man like feels a, i don't know what i think as soon as your kids are born you feel you want to protect but I, but i also have it i i also have that urge not an, an urge so to speak but just even with people that i i was sat on the tube and there was like a guy acting weird on the tube and i don't know whether it's like a thing because i've trained a little martial arts i know like the, the zanshin awareness thing normally tells you that you shouldn't be anywhere near people that look like they're going to kick off and fight you should just walk away i know some people believe that um the ancient belief was like if you're a martial artist you should be a protector of people that aren't i don't know where i stand with that i got hit in the face with a bin and i changed my mind on a lot of things but the um i, I experience I was sitting there on the tube and this guy was acting super weird. And I was like, if he starts like just punching the person next to him, I guess I have to stop him no, because I don't, well, if it's a woman, I do. I mean, I told you in, in, in a few podcasts ago, I remember um, a guy beating his girlfriend up. So I give him a few cracks and I got arrested for it. And she said, I don't know what he's talking about. He never, mm -hmm. my boyfriend never did anything. And, and at that point it was like, yeah, but, but getting involved mistake. in a Yeah. But you got involved in a domestic dispute. Like, I mean, like an, a rack. A yeah, but you don't know it's a domestic, dis you don't know it's a domestic dispute when a guy is kicking fuck out of a woman. All yeah, you know if you is a guy is kicking fuck out of a woman, suppose, I'm going yeah. to put him on his, on his ass. Right. You do, and then you get a lot. I still think like, you did the right thing. Fuck. Yeah, I do think I did the right thing. But maybe you, you, you did too much. You know, maybe, maybe how, how, if you've got somebody who's, 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 who's punching and kicking a woman, yeah. Mm -hmm. How what are you going to do? Walk him and say, Oh, stop it. He's going to eat you in the face with a bin. Right. Yeah, you've exactly. got to walk you up and put him on his ass. Because if you don't, 
the, the way they're going to reality, retaliate when you try and get involved is exactly what happens to people who, who go up and say, uh, you need to calm down now, mate. Let's not do this. And he'll, he'll, he'll headbutt you and then start hitting you. And all of a sudden, you're in the same position as the woman. Yeah, you're, at, you're at a disadvantage if you fight honorably in that situation, aren't you? Yeah. But I do, I do, I don't know. I just think that, uh, that there are self-defense laws and, and intervention laws that say as long as it's not worse than what the person is doing, <laughs> absolutely uh georgia just commented she says i'm grabbing that clip and setting it as my ringtone men are absolute wankers is the best thing you've ever said <laughs> yeah it's up there <laughs> thank you very much it's um, up there right what's the um, next one we've got on here oh we got another one. Oh, oh sorry I, I was talking about the self-defense thing um but I just yeah i just think that um you know i just think that there, there is a, a male urge to self-sacrifice but now let's talk about some more male urges men like fighting men enjoy fighting that's why that's that's it is one of them things i don't know Um, not most i think most men enjoy scrap i think wrong yeah i think we enjoy physicality more i think that's uh, something that higher testosterone does for you like testosterone makes you enjoy working out. I think it's kind of the same thing. It's like if you, if, like you, my, we were at a gig recently and uh, we were in a, a mosh pit and we were all sort of like, uh, everyone was just shoving, pushing, shoving against each other. And there were a couple of people on the peripheral of the mosh pit that were like, oh, you're stepping on my toe and stuff like that. It's just like, dude, like, w- look where you are right now. Look at like everything, everyone around you. But then there's other people in the mosh pit and you, you know that if they get in a, if, if they were to fight, like physically start punching each other, they would probably end up just shaking hands and being like, that was a great scrap. Like no malice, just that two people funny. just proving themselves against each other. I think that that is again, one of those weird testosterone fueled masculine urges, um, probably gets us in more trouble. But talking about masculine urges, uh, Matanuki, I think it is said uh matanuki is a he refers to them as scars on the thighs or the upper thighs did you do you remember this part of the book i actually just wrote down somewhere i don't know where it is but i wrote down that men cut themselves because they wanted to look masculine because they had scars all over the legs and i just i didn't read the name the matanuki okay a bit down and i thought that was so yeah the the element of masculinity from that is it's a form of scarification what they're doing by cutting their upper thighs but it's um it's to simulate the scarring you would get from a venereal disease like an std so they would be showing off that they've had uh lots Ah. of sexual encounters and have recovered from sexual diseases so that's like what that was one of the that I think it was a theory. I think that the the author puts forward in the book, the the translator, sorry, puts forward in the book. He says that the 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 way of um, it was like the path to manhood was bloody. Men back in men back in in the old days didn't mind getting bloody to like show how masculine they were. And um, but he, he doesn't know that it, for a fact, then, does he? It was just a theory. Um, so the the translator is saying that it's a it's okay. a theory. Um, but the the right I I got that mixed up. But the the author um Yocho Jocho, sorry, is saying that he, uh, it was something that he admired back in my day. Everyone did matanuki on their legs, um, and now men are afraid to do it. Yeah, but um, they were thinking of why they would do that, and I think it was to show. uh, They think it was to show that they were um, ego is the enemy again. Keeps coming back to that book. These guys had serious ego problems. Like they was willing to, like they they said earlier that that you 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 should uh, lose with honor. 
rather than yeah. win by thing it but <laughs> we'll yeah. lie about about our sexual exploits by cutting shit out of our legs and explaining which is just a deception it yeah. yeah yeah there's so much hypocrisy in this book um and yeah and if we to, on the concept of of um oh talking about scarification i don't know you know in all the old movies like the james bond movies and stuff the nazis used to have scars on their faces mm-hmm. um do you know why nope so um i used to think it was because it was just to make them look evil like ah they've got the big scar on their face of this evil creature um and they've been in horrible they've done horrible things to people but actually it was a practice in germany it was another masculinity practice where people would wear like protective clothing like up to the neck and like goggles to protect their eyes and uh, university students in germany would do this through like the late 1800s and early 1900s and they would get fencing swords and they would literally just smack each other with these fencing swords. And like you could deflect them and protect yourself, but there was no winner or loser. The aim was to get a scar on your face. So wow, you'd like well, protect your nose so it didn't get cut off. That. Well, they'd protect, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people lost their eyes doing it. But you'd wear like goggles and a nose guard and uh, you would just smack each other. And the first person to get a, a scar would kind of win. There was no winner or loser. It was almost just like... So if you uh, just stood there and said, go and hit me first, then you'd win. Was it the first person to get a scar or cause a scar? What's just happened? I don't know if we've lost Callum or if we've lost me. Somebody let me know in the comments. Hope. Hello, Callum. What's happened? Have I have I gone or have you? Guys, we having technical difficulties. I think we've lost Callum. Uh, oh, yeah, people are going to let me know now. I think. Yeah, it's Callum who's gone. Who's frozen? Guys, I think we've lost the internet at uh, the other end, which it's not the same doing a show without Callum. So um, we live in a modern world. Shit happens. Um, I don't know if we're going to get him back. Oh, let's see. Hello. There we go. He's back, back in the room. Oh, my goodness. What happened there? We did it on purpose to shut you up. Ah, okay. Yeah, no, fair enough. I haven't got on it. Yeah, I, 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 I posted something in the chat and it says, if you want to eject Callum, do it. Ah, Everybody yeah. pressed eject. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair enough. I, I'll uh, just, I'll just go commit seppuku. I'll, um, <laughs> I'll see you in a bit. <laughs> yeah, we live in a modern world, mate. It's, it's shit happens. So the next one, this got me in the book quite a bit because I noticed there's a hell of a lot of, 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 of expected as well gay relationships in these uh, warriors. Yeah, yeah, it's like a bisexuality. Uh, it's called shudo, which is like the 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 power of the samurai brought me back. Yes, Lauren, you're a hundred percent correct. It was the power of the samurai and this beautiful kimono that brought me back. <laughs> um, yeah, speaking of this beautiful kim- kimono, uh, lots of uh, lots of samurai did things that were kind of gay. Um, and shudo is this is this concept of masculine uh, or man on man love. Um, you like it, you're wearing a dress yeah i do it's not a dress it, it's it's uh like comes up to just below the the buttocks 
but it does look like a dress it's extremely comfortable actually i might have to um might have to invest in one uh but yeah they they it, there was like a this bisexuality thing where um men would be in love with other men um and uh yeah it was just really strange i don't know what you kind of made of it in the book but i have my thoughts said and... in the book you should commit yourself to one man and one woman so you should only have one wife but if you're going to have man on man love then you should commit yourself to one man not lots of other men and that's yeah. why certain good looking boys as they grew up the elders would say okay i'm having you as my Mm -hmm. and then nobody else would go near them because obviously they were senior um and yeah i guess it was kind of like I, I don't know i don't know what the situation was with with wives and stuff for these people um whether but it did say uh, a man should only have one man or one woman yeah and i think it it's like there are lots of cultures where in child not childhood but young adulthood like adolescence and stuff i think it's something to do with the um divide between men and women in these societies where women we will talk about them later um the, the opinions towards women but like putting their they're not allowed to look up they're not allowed to look at men they're not allowed to shake hands with men or touch men they're not allowed to receive like a gift or anything from a man or take a you know something from a man like a an object they're not allowed to interact with men and i think that until you have a wife which is probably via organized marriage if you're in the samurai class um it would be an organized marriage you'd probably don't have that much contact with with um women that you're going to marry i mean you might have contact with women that are like prostitutes or women that are um of lower social class than you so you wouldn't be able to have a relationship with them anyway and i think that that lack of I think they just fostered, they, they were fine to have uh, experiment sexually with men. I think that the way that they looked at it was that sex was something that you did and not something that you were. So like, they're not gay or bisexual. They are just, I mean, by definition, they are bisexual a lot of the time because they have male relationships and a sex. wife. But if you're just going to have sex, which is just something that you do, um, and everyone has the urge. Well, a lot of most people have the urge to to do it. So you just do it with whoever you want to. And if that happens to be a particularly attractive young man or old man, um, that's fine as long as you're not being duplicitous and having lots and lots of relationships with lots of different people. Um, and then they'd go and put scars on the legs to pretend they were having lots of relationships with lots of people, even if they weren't. Women. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm ugly as sin, me. So I have to scar my legs up to look like I'm a shagger. Um, I can see we've got tons and tons and tons of notes, so I'm going to move us on a little bit quicker today. Yeah. We've been on nearly two hours. Um, what is this one? Uh, Men are becoming womanly, a tale as old as time. Uh, one of the key points from this book that I took was this this uh, man, Yam uh, Yamamoto Jocho, was saying how oh, men these days are girls. They're not scarring their legs up. They're not willing to die for their lord. Um example in Jojo's life is that he uh, when his lord dies he's the only person in his um out of the group of retainers that he's with to say that he wants to kill himself he, he's like oh, okay i will commit seppuku because my lord has died and i will follow him into whatever the next life and um everyone else is like well nah i don't really fancy it and um, he's like how can you do that like that's something that we've always done it's our culture and he's really horrified by the people that are that are like no and in fact his lord made it illegal to kill yourself when your lord dies um which Check is probably out. to keep 
keep the population going. Um, men and women were treated differently for illness. If the way of treating a woman worked on a man, it was believed that he had become womanly. Jesus. So <laughs> yeah, that's insane. You went to the dentist with toothache and they pulled your toothache. He's like, oh, that worked on a woman last week. You must be yeah. female. Jeez. Fucking well, mad, weren't they? Get a load of this guy. Um, and th this bit, this next one really, really got me. This next statement, I was like, well, this is fucking terrible. So yeah. the oldest daughter, and this, this is a guy writing this in a book, like this is how everybody should live their lives. He said, the oldest daughter is special. But any other should be discarded, right? And then mm. I put WTF, as they will, fuck at as the they end. will bring dishonor on your as they are likely dishonor to bring your dishonor on your household. Marry into other families who who bring dishonor on your household, so you should yeah. just kill them all. And I was like, oh my god, this is one of the things where it's like every single time we read into this history, it's like there's always someone being horrible to a woman, and I think it's it's like wow, wow, yeah, you know, it's it's and you don't know unless you read and find out, yeah. What's that? I mean, at least like the samurai were choosing to kill themselves, whereas these uh, women that messed up were often just executed outright. So, is that um, one of yours? Yeah, uh, which I think links in with the with the this whole thing about the eldest daughter and other children should be discarded, and like if a woman is like, if it seems that she has loose morals, she should be executed, and all of these things. The kindness is one of um kindness benevolence and mercy are all part of the way of the warrior and i think that's a massive thing of there's a lot of hypocrisy there because it's like it's if showing kindness is part of your uh and mercy is part of your creed as a warrior but you're like so unforgiving like that's why i think it, it's important to remember that this was just one man and his opinion, because I think he's a kind of a grumpy old man and he has a bit of an issue with, with a lot of like the new sort of culture. And he's like, that is an absolute sin. Like you should commit seppuku and you should, he says like someone should slit their belly for doing something. It's like super real visceral, horrible opinions about people. Um, but he also says that a samurai must be kind. He gives an example of if um, people who come to the, um, like the, bureaucratic areas like the offices let's say people who come to the offices of these bureaucratic samurai and, and want to make idle chatter are really annoying and they should be ashamed of themselves and then in the same line he says but one of the samurai uh, but a, a samurai should not tell them that they're annoying and to get out because that would be unkind and um you shouldn't be horrible to them so it's such a weird hypocrisy and uh yeah it really Shocked back me. then, everybody was everybody was also horrible to the poor. If you was poor or you were seen as lower class, you was trapped like shit anyway. Yeah, Which I didn't think. Yeah, right. Um, this is what we talked about earlier. I do yep. not consider victory or defeat; instead, just attack. Yeah, I think that's a that's another cool one, um, which is about you know, it seems like. Uh, an aggressive like violent one but actually it could be more to do with um if you're looking at it from like a work perspective a business perspective it's like don't think about whether you're gonna make a million from this or whether you're gonna you know completely crash out just do it and then see yeah. what happens do what you enjoy just attack um and this is another quote from the book deliberate lightly when deciding on weighty matters uh, and also be meticulous when deciding on affairs of minor importance. There's another interesting uh, 
I almost like a contradiction sense. there, right? Yeah, I thought it was bullshit. I did write it down the same as a note because I thought, well, he's talking crap. And he's basically what he's saying is if it's important, make your decision fast. And if mm-hmm. it's not important, take your time. But I think what he, he might have been trying to say is if it's not important, then just don't even think about deciding. Like, be meticulous, meaning be slow. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it. But but always, like like the book, The One Thing, which um, he basically explains that if you find the things that are important, deal with the things that are important and forget everything else. Um, but yeah, deliberate lightly when deciding on weighty matters. I wrote this, I rewrote this in a different way that made sense in English to me and be meticulous when deciding on affairs of minor importance. Hmm. Yeah. It's a, another really strange one. Although I can see the deliberate lightly on this when deciding on weighty matters, how, you know, don't, don't think about it. Just, just do it. If it's that important, um, yep. your instinct will probably... Else, it should just say, forget everything else. If it's not important, just don't even think about it. And I think the the other one is be detic- meticulous when deciding on affairs of minor importance. It's like if you have to think about minor things, it means that you have nothing major to think about. Okay, got you. So then, then you take your time and, and really make sure that you get everything, all the little details right. I think that's what, what he's trying to say. But again, this is one of the wisdoms of the book. And one of the reasons why maybe I could take a little longer reading a book like this or have it as a thing of continuous study like next to my bed or something where you open up, read one part, and then you're like, hmm, what do, what do they mean by that? And think about that for a while. I think that'd be a fun exercise. I think I'd rather read a book that's been written by somebody that's already done that exercise because then he'll he'll have filtered out all the bullshit and all the contradictions and all the hypocrisy and actually figured out the bits that make sense and that need to you want to be the guy that makes it make sense. Whereas I'd rather be the guy that reads the stuff that's been done by the guy that's made it make sense. I would yeah. feel like I was wasting my time figuring that out because I'd rather somebody else figure it out and then I could just read the 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 polished product at the end type of thing. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But it's like I, I heard someone talking about um they were talking about religion and they were talking about like um sort of religious uh, organizations and, and mainstream religion. And he was like real like theological religious questions, like the things that that take us to like the deepest layer of understanding of religion come from contradictions. So like um you know like the all life is sacred and like but then like the abortion um laws and stuff and being you know, like those two things are really questions. They're like, they're questions that if you have to interrogate things at like points where there could be contradictions, I think that's where like the most interesting questions come from. So there's an element to that. But I know what you mean this book is like, you mean it's where proper, proper it's like in business, like you you learn more from failing than you do from succeeding. If you succeed at summit, like if you succeed three times on the road, if you try and do three different things and you succeed, 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 all of a sudden you feel invincible. Like I can take on the world. Mm-hmm. Nobody can stop me. I'm a genius. I'm this, I'm that. And even you don't think things through. And then when you do some itch you, it's like, Oh shit, I was wrong. Um, yeah. So I think, but when you fail, I did a podcast last night with, um, Jonathan Gamble, the guy was called. And about halfway through the podcast, he, he starts, I ask him about, um, obviously some stuff to do with business. You'll have to watch podcasts, but, um, mm-hmm. he, he, he explains it in a way that, that this, that he's 
some of his biggest mistakes were where he learned the most. But when I said to, I asked him the question, what's, what's one of your biggest like mistakes? What's one of your biggest walls you've hit in business where you thought, shit, I shouldn't have done that. And as he explained what had happened, he was explaining it as though it was a negative and it's like, I wish I'd never done it. And then when I said mm. later, I said, however much you paid to buy that business was worth it because of everything you just explained shows that you've learned way more than if you'd have gone to college or uni or something for 10 years to try and learn, you'd never learned that. But that one mistake has taught you something inside out now that you know it so well by making the mistake. So I guess I guess it's the same thing what you're on about there. He's, he's yeah. looking at it in both sides. It makes you understand the bigger picture. Exactly. Like if you want to understand a person's belief system, don't ask them like, don't ask them like what they believe. Ask them about what questions they have about what they believe. Like ask them like, do you have any questions that you can't answer with your belief system? And then you'll find out really what they believe rather than um, just sort of like lip service to what they think they should believe. Um, Next one is something I always say to Cameron. Uh, devotion to one's path and lifelong learning is essential. I don't say it yeah. as posh as that, but that's kind of what I say to Cameron all the time. You should, you should wear a kimono whilst you say yeah. it as well. <laughs> your, like shave the front yeah. of your head like they do in the in the samurai and, and wear like I a top knot. I don't think anyone should ever stop learning, ever. Yeah. That's why we do these podcasts, because it forces us to read the full book. Like I've read that thingy book this week twice, and I was going to start reading it a third time, and I thought, you know what, I'm not, because I kind of have gone as far as I need to. I was repeating my notes. So instead I read um, Good to Great and The One Thing Again, which I've read in the past, which are both brilliant books. But because mm -hmm. we've done really big books recently, like the the one the, that, that um, strategy one that we did yeah. last week, that was, that was a nightmare. It was a pain in the ass. But kind of what it did is, it made it made reading a normal size book that I enjoy super super easy and super quick and 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 it, it kind of the benefit I got from it wasn't reading the book, it was actually turning me into somebody that actually could can get through a book as if it's nothing because um, I'd suffered through that strategy book. Yeah, yeah, it's like um, yeah. They say I think they, there's a quote in this book actually about something like that. It's like if you. Oh, it's like fighting uh, the man. He makes his soldiers draw their swords like randomly all the time. Um, and he gives them extremely long swords to try and draw. So it's, it's to like very difficult for them to get the sword out of the scabbard cleanly without like messing up or hitting the ceiling or hitting a wall or something. And so he makes them do that all the time, just randomly. And then once they've graduated to the next level, he gives them all smaller swords and, um, they're extremely fast and accurate with the smaller swords because they practice with the longer ones. And it's, it's a similar, that's the analogy that he's trying to make there. It's like, if you train uh, wearing a weight vest, it's the same thing. It's like, I, you know, running a mile in a weight vest every day and then you run it without and suddenly you smash that mile like it doesn't exist. Yeah, I guess because when you put weight on, you don't realize that you're walking around carrying that weight. You, you feel like you're you inside your body because you're used to doing it. But when you see these guys that are like 300 key and stuff like that, they must have such strong legs. They mm -hmm. could strip off their fat. They could probably leap a building in a single bound. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I pressed the wrong one, man. Wait there. Uh, that's um, okay. The next one is here. Oh, oh we're fighting each other. Oh, my we'll goodness. Fighting. I we're fighting each other. Samurai, you have to commit seppuku. Yeah, I do. I will. Go on. I've, no. I've done a couple of seppuku-worthy transgressions today. I think disappearing from the podcast is probably the worst one I've done. Uh, so this next one, never fall behind others in pursuing the way of the warrior. I think that's similar to the one before, actually, like the devotion to one's path 
um, and lifelong learning. It's like you, you shouldn't fall behind other people in learning, um, but you also shouldn't fall behind them in pursuing the way, which is up to it's interpretation. telling you to be competitive, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, as if, if you can't, if you can't just sit down and learn and say, this is just for me, I'm just learning for me. What you could probably do to inspire you to do more is to say, you know, well, I want to be smarter than I've always else. said to my son, if, 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 if there's no, there's no such thing as second place, there's either first or they're all, all the rest are last. And I've been told by, you shouldn't say that, but in his school, I think I've told you about this in the past, in his school, what they say is, um, it's not about winning. It's about taking part. Right. And that everybody, yeah. and I'm always like, What's the point in doing a competitive sport? Like these guys had it right. Never fall behind others. What they're trying to do is it's like every single one of you needs to be first, but there's 50 of yours. So 49 is your losers. Like, so work harder yeah. and it pushes people to work harder. And, 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 and like in, in my, in my lad's school, they're saying, well, what we'll do is we'll do team sports so that, 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 that you work together as a team and the whole team. And it just, I don't get it me. And I've always said, to yeah, them, don't worry about losing. It's not important. Losing and winning is not important when you think of the bigger picture. However, there is no such thing as, as second place. There's only first and last. Every other position behind first is last. And and right. he gets it now. He's starting to get it and he's starting to understand it. And when he, he doesn't get as upset when he loses anymore, but he also gets it. He kind of looks at it and it's like, if you're not winning, then you're not involved. It's yeah, not I, I think mean? the way I think they're looking at it, I think they've got it right. I think the most important thing is taking part because I think putting yourself in those situations is I how don't. you get better. Well, you've said it yourself a couple of times, like it doesn't matter if you fail at something. No, it's it just doesn't. you have to do it to get better at it. But they're coming at it from a different angle where they're saying that, you know, just taking part is fine. Winning doesn't matter. Winning does matter because it's if you take part, the way you get better is trying to win whilst taking part. Like you don't go in and go, well, I'm just not going to try. I'm just here. Huh? It's I'm like, what the hell? It doesn't make any run. sense. You know, like, yeah, people who walk the, you know, at school, we used to do a 1500 meters and everyone, people used to be like, no, I'm just going to walk it. It's like, well, you've come out here, you're in your gym clothes, you're standing on a running track, just fucking run. Like, is it, <laughs> what, what's wrong with you? You know, like, come on, like, play to win at least. Like, otherwise you're breaking the rule of the game, which is to try and win. Like, it, it kind of, like, breaks the social norm of at least it try. It me up to the point where I want to fucking explode at the teacher because it's like, stop teaching me kid to be a fucking loser, you prick. Just because you yeah, don't want to be a school teacher. Teach my kid to be a trier. You know, teach my kid to be someone that tries, and even when they fail, they go next time I'm going to win. You don't exactly I mean, the as annoying as the kids that go, oh, you know, I'm not even going to try. There's no point. As annoying as those kids are, the kids that come second and then are like, ah, oh, I didn't win. And you're just like, well, you know, you didn't. So my participation oh. <laughs> awards are my prized possessions. <laughs> My participation oh, awards and my prize possession. That's amazing. I've I've got a couple of those knocking around, I think. A couple of participation awards. Um I, I would have binned them straight away, me. I wouldn't have even took them on. What's this one? Is this one of yours? Because I don't think I've seen No, this one's yours. Um we can tap into knowledge that serves to steer us away from egotism by studying the aphorisms and deeds of the ancients. <laughs> Go on, Mike. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> What I'm trying to say there is, is, is the enemy, and just look at how the ancients used to be like, fuck it. In fact, I did some others above this one, didn't I? Yeah, there's another one. Mushing, um, a mind free of thought, 
is one that is pure with correct thought, meaning yeah. stop stressing. Yeah. In, in a way, you stop stressing out, doesn't it? Yeah. Mushin is like the concept of Mushin means empty mind. Um, and it's just to have a mind that's free of thought. And yeah, he says that basically if you're not thinking about anything, then you're going to be only thinking about the correct things. The only thoughts that will come to you will be correct, um, which I kind of agree with. But I think uh, the contradiction between Mushin and Zanshin is really interesting because Zanshin is all about like awareness and you have to be switched on at all times. But Mushin's like, but you also should be empty of thoughts and just acting off of like instinct. And um, yeah, I think that's kind of interesting. Do, do they talk about um, Zanshin at uh, karate class with um, Cameron? Don't know. Don't get involved, me. I just uh, drop him at the door and then pick him up at the end. Okay, I go in yeah, at the but... end. If he tells me that they're going to be doing sparring, I'll go in and watch. Nice. That, Typical. I'm, I'm, I'd rather be reading or doing something that's. Productive. That was me. Like when we were doing sessions, and they were like, "Yeah, we, we're going to work on our kata today." I'd be like, "Oh, are we?" <laughs> I might yeah, say he, her, he always wins her, there. Her, every like... single time he's been to a thing, he wins the kata thing every time. He like proper likes that shit. Yeah, the I, kata, but... not the kata, which is the one where they don't fight. Where they dance. Yeah, Kata. They dance. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah it's that. the forms. The they go through forms. That doesn't surprise me because he's clearly a really good. He's clearly a really good learner. Yep. And you he can focuses. learn. You learn the Kata, but then when it comes to sparring, you have to be spontaneous. And if you're really, if you're really like, like a pattern based learner, then sometimes breaking patterns to find gaps in people's defenses is, is difficult. Like my friend was amazing at kata, and he's bigger and stronger than me too. And he probably could have kicked my ass, but under the karate rules, <laughs> uh, I used to beat him quite a lot because I was a bit faster than him, and I was happier to. He was trying to use the techniques that we were shown, yeah, whereas I was like, "Well, I can a, change this technique and make it a work." Thing in karate, where if you hit him with a jab, it's not counted. Mm. But if you do this little pussy slap like that, it's yeah. counted, and it's like, like the Iraqan. No, it yeah, doesn't make like... sense. I used to get points for jabs, though. The best way to do it is to really sell the fuckers. You got to sell those jabs, like jab their actual face off, and then you'll get points for it. Is is, <laughs> is is they're teaching them to do the fighting, and I'm watching it, and it's like if the jabbing is not scoring, but then if a kid throws <clears> a jab like this, <laughs> yeah, he scores a point. I'm like, what the fuck are you teaching them? That's not. But everything else about discipline, it's brilliant. I love it. Where he's learning is amazing. The teacher's brilliant. Yeah. I just don't get that stupid little punch. But, I mean, the sport, sense. the sport element of karate is one of the things that mainly lets it down now um i think like in it i love that style the style that um cameron does goji ryu karate which um do you know what it means goji ryu no it means the hard soft style um which i think is cool because it's like yin yang hard soft it's I like, like it um, you don't get punched in the head a lot like i did boxing, no. and boxing and shit growing up and it was like when you spy you get even as a kid you get punched in the head a lot um kind of you makes still learn how to throw a punch and you learn how to move your feet, which is yeah. good. That's all you really need for self-defense, to be honest. Just throw punches, use your feet. Discipline and respect. And, yeah. The teacher there, I, I've I've took him to lots of different places. Like in, in Spain, he was doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And that's what I wanted him to do when he got back here. And yeah. the reason I kept him in karate over here, over everything else, is because of the actual teacher. Yeah. The teacher there is brilliant he like he, he doesn't he does he just he's just the best teacher of a martial arts school i've ever come across yeah there's no he was, personal ego involved in what he does there's no he's just good he just teaches amazing. the kids really well yeah he's great um, sensei peter thompson wessex martial arts he's the man this was a quote i found in the book how will you reply when your own heart asks questions and i thought i don't get yeah. it 
I saw that in the book. And I loved it. I thought it was so cool. It took me ages to think about what this could be about. I was like, how will you reply when your own heart asks questions? I think he's talking about the purity of thought here again. You know, he says about like, you'll only have the correct thoughts. And I think he's talking about, you know, how um, you, you could say to yourself, like, this is a weird example. Uh, maybe. I don't know. If you're walking down the street and you... Um, like outwardly like you're respectful to everyone around you but inside your head you're like oh you fucking moron or like um you know like oh she's such a bitch or oh she's so fucking hot and um but you'd never say that to them because it'd be disrespectful but like i think that that's like what he's talking about is having a pure mindset it's like how would how would you reply if your own heart was was asking these questions you know like if it comes down to your own morality like what's deep within you are these like impure actions and thoughts uh like even if they're not outward you know i think that that's where he's coming from i could be wrong i, I had no idea i just read it and i thought i love that saying and i don't quite get it and i thought i need to copy it and put it in my notes so that i get you to explain how you see it because i didn't quite get it i liked it i loved it i thought it was brilliant i just then i thought don't think it makes sense to me um maybe someone yeah. will let us know in the chat what they think it means but yeah, would you I, I would reply when your own heart asks questions. Maybe uh, thinking about it a little more, how would you reply when your own heart asks questions? So if you have an inner an inner uh desire or like a something like really powerful like emotion within you, how would you respond to that? Would you suppress it and let it and let it oh, go yeah, because out. of like the people around you and not wanting to rock the boat or would you express it and you know, you I think press it. Does that mean you're fake kind of does doesn't it yeah so if you need if you're in the need to suppress what you're thinking i, I don't i yeah i just liked it i just thought it just sticks with me it'll be something i'll think about a few times one day i'll come on air and we'll be like six months from now I'm like, i get it yeah we'll both <laughs> have like long mustaches and like <laughs> long hair like, when you die if, if you die when you die oh that was brilliant yeah. <laughs> i would say it but it was fucking good saying yeah i love uh, it i say I, that way too much now <laughs> I'll fly through the last few. Men waste their lives always chasing what they want but will never receive. Now, this for me was more about we chase empty empty things, things we think we want. We chase a lot of shit that, 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 that's completely irrelevant and is not needed. Um, like people are always chasing. I, I was like it for years. I was constantly, constantly, constantly chasing wealth. Now, another one I got from the, 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 the um, almanac of nerval ravikant right was and and i don't think he says it like this in the book but i wrote it like this that um people think that money will solve all your problems right mm -hmm. or, or, or people say no people say who don't chase money money won't solve all your problems right then i added to the end of that but 70 percent of a poor person's problems is financial so it will save it will solve 70 percent of your problems so get some that was yeah. kind of how I, how I added to it because i thought to myself yeah okay, well no yeah, I always chase and chase and chase and chase money. But once you've actually got it, let's say you've got loads of money sat in the bank and you, and, and you, and you don't need money anymore, it still doesn't make you feel any different. It doesn't do. It doesn't fix those. It, do, it fixes your financial problems though. And I think this men men waste their lives chasing things like like if I'd have continued to chase wealth and nothing else, I would have probably lost my missus and my kids by now because right. I was working 15, 16 hour days. I was constantly focused on what I thought was important. Um, and then one day it just kind of hit me that it actually all wasn't. Cause even, I think it was when we did our, we did 140,000 USD in a day, right? 
and and we did 140 grand and I'm phoning Martin. I was like, oh, we just done 140 grand, man. And it was on a webinar and I was like, over the fucking moon. I was dead happy and I was like, I can't fucking believe we've done this in a day. And the next day was, was just the same. And I think it was kind of like, all right, you're just chasing an empty, it just didn't seem to matter. Um, yeah. And and that was at that point when I kind of realized you need to stop working so hard and you need to, that's why we do office hours 10 till 2. We work part yeah, time. Like I know the business does that. that I your fulfillment. Of. Yeah, same. It's almost like your fulfillment is coming from elsewhere. Um, people are chasing these things. They're chasing fulfillment, but in the wrong way they're using the wrong vehicle to get to the fulfillment whereas if you were using the you know family and philosophy and feeling like comfortable in yourself and then that's much more important than getting getting that stuff i think that's true and i i interpreted this in a similar way but also in a different way is like men waste their lives always chasing what they want but will never receive is um almost if you're if you are like not I don't know if you, you've met people that are like, oh, I want to be this or I want to do that. And you're just like, well, you're never going to... I want that girl's tits. Yeah. I want that guy's money and people like that that's constantly... Be, they're never going to... You know, you're never yeah. going to get it. Like, I, you, you can't just, like, sit on Instagram and Jealousy. look at people, like, in the Maldives, like, with their, like, six-pack abs and floating around. Like, you're not a model. Like, you're not going to be able to do that. You can get to that place. So do you want to travel? Is that what you want? Or do you want to be fit and healthy? Because you can go to the gym if that's what you want. But, like, you're not going to be that that yep. person. You, you can't. You, you'll never receive that. So don't waste your time trying to emulate that. Um, um, who, was it, who, who was it who said that about, like, if you look at somebody and you think, oh, man, I wish I had his money or I wish I had his car or I wish I had his girlfriend or I wish I had whatever it is, his house, when you look at them as a whole and their life as a whole, would you replace you with them? Would you actually step out of your life and become, because they've got similar problems to you and similar things. Mm -hmm. So they might have a six pack, <laughs> but what else have they got going on? I mean, I, what, what, if, if I was to look at my life and I was to look at the negatives in my life and then compare them to most people I know, I definitely wouldn't swap my life for them because I have the easiest life you can ever imagine. And I can do what I want, when I want, every day. I don't have to get out of bed. I can, I can, it's such an easy, relaxed, chilled out life with almost zero stress. And yeah. I ain't got a six pack, but I'd like one. But if I looked at someone with a six pack, might I think, would it, I wish I had a six pack, but would I swap lives with this guy who has to go to yeah. the gym every single day and spend three or five hours and then not eat a cake? <laughs> Well, yeah, and you you also have to think about that uh, there's a portion of when you look at someone, you're looking at like a snapshot of them in that moment, yep. and it it takes a long way to get to that moment. So, you know, someone could look at you and go, you've just said you have like a really, your, your life is very easy, low stress, like you, it's, it's brilliant for, you know, you've got this financial freedom, you can do what you want and you love your life and you wouldn't trade it for someone. That's brilliant. But if someone was like, well, I would want to trade my life with his because his sounds amazing, but to get to where you've got, they would also have to overcome all of the hurdles that you have. Yeah. And that w one, just in a personal point, I don't think a lot of people could do that. I think that that's like, that separates you from a lot of people, but I think that also they, they, they wouldn't want to like, why would you want to go through? Like, you know, you've spoken about it on the, on the podcast before struggling with alcoholism before, yeah. And like, uh, and what that kind of thing did to your relationships. And that must've been horrible for everyone involved. What would you want to live through that? If it meant gaining the, 
if you wanted to swap to become you, you'd have to go through that to get there. So I think it's very uh, superficial, a lot of that stuff. They don't think about the whole picture and the whole life as a journey. Um, uh, you know, they don't look at life as a journey. They're just looking at these snapshots. And, we're all um, just animals, aren't we? And we've all got different stories and different journeys and people look at these superficial things and think that they're important when they're not. Exactly, yeah. When they don't exactly. Um, so. this was what we. This has gone back to where we were before. Losing doesn't matter, but if you miss the opportunity, you cannot win. Yes. So this was kind of what I was trying to say earlier. And I'd Participation trophy down. thing. Yes. So, so it's not, losing doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you lose, right? Yeah. I don't think that just being involved, just being part of it is, is important because it isn't. The, 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 it's all about winning, but you have to be involved if you're going to win. So don't not put any effort in when you're involved. And 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 I think that's kind of what I was getting at with this one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, we, we've had our little discussion on that anyway. Like we kind of see the same point. I think we get there in a different way. Um, I think that it's almost like the desperation element you were talking about, how it's harder to make money when you're desperate to make money. If you're desperate to win, it can be harder to win. But also if you're desperate to win, truly desperate to win, not just ego possessed in winning, you will train like a winner to win. It's like you wouldn't have to be convinced on the day to run in that race in sports day. You would have been practicing in your back garden. There's a thing on on, on Netflix, Arnold Schwarzenegger thing on Netflix at the minute, and mm -hmm. that guy, the, 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 where he came from, I mean, he came from a good life, but he didn't want it. Um, mm -hmm. But the guy was serious, like three hours, three times a day or whatever it was he trained and stupid shit like that. When you look at what he did to get to where he got to, he's earned everything. And and yeah, yeah. everything's easy for him now. But when when uh, I've not watched all of it yet, so nobody ruin it. Well, he's paying a price for it too, like his body. Called the like... dueling scar, John McDonald said. Yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. That, that I've never heard it called that before. That was what we were talking about. Um, we were saying about the Nazi scars and stuff in the past, where before I got rudely cut off by um, by the powers that be. Um, yeah, that's what we were talking about before the dueling scar and 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 getting a yeah getting a cut and it being like a badge of honor. Um, kind of cool, but super weird. Uh, when things can get no worse, they will then change for the better. Now, this one, I was listening to the audio version when I got this, so I wrote this in my own words. But uh, when things can get... All, so, so so if you're at the bottom of the hill, then it's cool. You've only got shit to look forward to. It's kind of what mm -hmm. I mean. Yeah, um, no, I, exactly. I think that's a really... Um, that's a, a cool perspective. Very stoic as well, isn't it? Like, Have you seen the Rocky film? Which one? The Creed one. The, the first one or the latest one? I think it's the first one. He does this super cheesy fucking rhyme in it, right? Where he says one punch at a time, one step at a time, one thing at a time. And it's like proper cheesy. It's proper typical nice. Sylvester Stallone, right? Yeah. And that's kind of where I got this next one from, but from out of the book. <laughs> Live okay. one day at a time, one hour at a time, one minute at a time. <laughs> nice. I like it. And then Sylvester Stallone as a samurai. Yeah. And it's then the final you. thought, it just reminded me, it was kind of something he said in the book. It was kind of, he didn't mean this. It kind of, he said it in a real complicated way. So I kind of turned it into a Rocky, um, <laughs> into a Sylvester Stallone yeah. thing. Now, my final thought, have you got any final thoughts on this before I read out the one that I've put? Because I, I basically think there's a lot can be learned from this book, even though it was written by I, 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 maybe a crazy old man. Yeah. Um, that's kind of where I'm at with it, really, about the, the crazy old man. I think that, 
it's really important if you are going to read Hag um, Hagakure that you um, are aware that it is just one the views of one person and this is the the wisdom of the samurai which is being filtered through the view of one person who is clearly um uh, a very staunch conservative uh, con um uh, yeah yeah he's 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 really into his conservatism he's real like old school wants things to go back to the way they were he's a real fan of the good old days and i think that um yeah, you the view you're getting of it is very romanticized and um but I think it's absolutely fascinating. It made it asked so many questions in my head about like the power of culture and like the kind of like the power culture has over us to like make us do what we would think is an insane things and also how alien a lot of the samurai culture is to modern western culture but also like the similarities of where it came from. Because if you look at like medieval England with the knights and stuff, there's definitely similarities. Stoicism, there's definitely similarities, and it all like you know, it's like hmm, it's interesting how this developed in this. It's all this... bully gang mentality, in it. You know, in school you get like one guy who's bigger than the rest of the gang, and they're all bullies, and they run around doing it. And then they get older and they become knights, and there's one who leads them, and he's a bully, and he runs around, and it kind of it's just humans. We just we 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 we're gang men actually, not humans, men have a gang mentality where there is one leader and then there's a bunch of followers and they run around doing crazy shit. And I think it, it happened during Samurai. It happened during throughout history with all of the Genghis Khan and all of the, I guess it's just, it's that, it's that little, what, what would you call it? Like it, it is, it's like a gang mentality that men have done throughout history. And it? it's the same thing with the, with the Samurai. They were just well, yeah, I think, well, it starts off with the family, doesn't it? And then from the family unit, you have your, like, your um, your identity as a family. And then when you go outside the family unit and the unit gets slightly bigger, you have, like, the married-in people join in with your family. Then it's part of the, the tribe. And then after that, it's it goes the next up and up and up. And eventually you end up with a whole culture of a nation or a continent or whatever. And it's all about sort of identity and 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 his like his uh clan identity is is really really strong he says there's a line um i had all of my notes up but they disappeared when my computer turned off but um i'll try and paraphrase it it was basically like the the moral teachings should be secondary to the teachings of like the clan ancestors basically which is like or, or like the bushido code of of your people which is do you know when you like, go off on a rant and you have all these answers, do you actually have it all written down? Not usually. No, the last few weeks I haven't had anything written down. But this time I wrote stuff down because of the names. I didn't want to. I didn't want to fuck up the names. I just didn't read the names. I didn't even know the name of the guy that read the book because I thought, you know what, I'm not even going to try and, and can't say it. That. Not going to read it. Yeah. My final yeah. thought on this, I've put it on the notes. Uh, final thought: A man's master has been replaced with a family these guys didn't have families and a life of service to one's loved ones should be seen as honorable not hard work but instead something they always aim to get better at this is kind of what i've took from this book is that if you want to live the samurai life treat your family like they're your master your lord your thingy and always aim to improve what you do for them and you're a samurai yeah i think um he says that doesn't he in, in his um in his oath um, the author's oath, uh, Jocho's oath, he says, uh, I will never fall behind others in the way of pursuing the way of the warrior. I will always be ready to serve my lord. I will uh, I will 
I will honor my parents uh, and I will serve compassionately for the benefit of others. Um, those are, that's his oath. And I think that, yeah, if you, you can apply that to the family, like, you know, honor should be being a good role model for your, for your children or, or, or yeah. a, a good life. example for your um, peers and also a good reflection of your um, parents. I know some people don't, you know, have that, but they can still, I think you can still kind of get that from, from your inner self-worth and stuff. So, And next week, we're doing something a little next bit different. Week, yeah, very different one next week. Um, you should probably explain this one because you've been planning this out a little bit more than me. I okay. think I'm just going to, I'm well, just going to be learning. So, so, right. As far as business is concerned and everybody in the world, the, the, the search is one of the biggest, most important things for any business anywhere on the planet so i think if we're going to touch a business but we should do one on seo so what we're going to do next week is callum's going to read callum's never done seo before had nothing to do with seo he knows a little bit because he's been working with me for a while yep. he's going to read seo 2023 um and i am going to read the 2021 version and mm-hmm. what we're going to do is we're going to come back next time we're both going to make notes and we're going to look at his notes versus my notes. We're going to come on here and we're going to debate and go through the whole thing from start to finish. And then we are also, well, that's about it, really. We're just going to go through and see what the changes are, but then we're also going to go through and see if it, 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 it can help people to earn, learn SEO in a single week because Callum's right, never and, done it and he's going and to try and do it in a week. Mike, for the people that don't know what SEO is, um, could oh, you yeah. give a, a brief definition of what SEO is if any of our listeners Search are like, engine optimization. Get into the top of Google. So when you go in here and you're searching for porn or you're searching for a plumber, uh, the businesses at the top of Google, at the top of your phone, are either paying for it or they have done SEO to get to the top. So I think it's something that every business needs. I think the way the internet is becoming super, super powerful, everybody needs it. Um, I've done it for 10 years. So I'm going to read the 2021. You're going to read the 2023. And we're going to debate on the um, whole subject and hopefully help a lot of people learn search engine optimization. Including me, who needs to learn it. Compare it to what you currently do, Mike. Currently to do, Mike. To Mike. What? Compare it to what you do currently to Mike. I don't know what she means. No, I don't know either. Love you too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely what she meant. That's 100% what she meant. We'll stick it at that. Right, guys. Love it. um, Thank you very, very much, everybody, for being with us this week. And we will see you all next week. Um, We need to create a thing on Monday so we can let people know we're going to do something on SEO because I think that'll be quite valuable. Wicked. All right. Yeah. Catch you very well. See All right. Bye bye. Later's. Bye. <laughs>